welcome to another episode of Spliced Spliced Together. Together. I'm Michelle. (laughs) If you had any brains, you would be. And I'm Harper. You gonna make a deal (laughs) with this so i guess you can figure out what we're talking about today (laughs) um so this episode number 11 which is one more episode than quentin tarantino will ever make movie wise (laughs) uh we're gonna be talking about the big man himself Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. So something we talked about from the very beginning of this podcast, of the idea of this podcast was that we do some episodes on like a whole director and all of their movies. Yeah. Which he's one of the few we've seen all of the movies. Seen everything he's ever made, including yeah. stuff he just wrote and all that jazz yeah. too. So we're going to be looking over his entire filmography from beginning to end. Yeah. So volume one. Yes, so this is, and we're splitting this into two episodes. Yeah. So this will be we're Quentin gonna, Tarantino, yeah. volume one. Chronological. Yeah. From the start. <laughs> um, and then for our mini segment in this episode, we'll be playing a little game we like to call Quentin Says the Dumbest Things, <laughs> <laughs> where we will take turns reading movie quotes that we've picked for each other, and then we're going to guess whether or not it came from a Tarantino film. Or not. That's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> or not. <laughs> so we split the movies up. We alternated, mostly alternate them. Um, so for this first half, I'm going first with Reservoir Dogs. So Reservoir, uh, Reservoir Dogs came out in 1992. Um, and I wrote, we all, we wrote little intros for each of the movies or I did anyways. I did not. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> I'll Here, wing it. I'll do it live. <laughs> that's fine. So here's what I wrote about Reservoir Dogs. Just a quick overview. That one critic said that Reservoir Dogs was like the release of the 1895 film in which the audience feared the train coming towards the camera would come out of the screen and hit them because audiences weren't ready for it. Uh, this film had an enormous impact on the independent film world, both in terms of style and on-screen violence. It was criticized for the violence, but most of the critics appreciated that the passion that Tarantino clearly brought to the movie and that it works as both a homage to film noir and French heist movies, as well as defining itself as a new American classic. You did your homework way better than I did. <laughs> I was just going to like read the IMDb description. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah. I didn't say at all what it was about. It's, it, it is yeah. <laughs> basically, if you haven't seen Reservoir Dogs, it's essentially a movie about a heist in which you don't see the heist. You see the aftermath in which they're, uh, the heist obviously went wrong and they're arguing. The uh, criminals are all arguing about who sold them out and tr- and they're kind of turning on each other. Who did what? Yes. <laughs> and when? <laughs> uh, and, and the big, obviously the big thing in Reservoir Dogs is that uh, it's told out of order and that one of the characters is a, uh, is a mole, is a, a undercover cop. And yeah. um, you find that out at some point through the movie. And then, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And by the way, I should just say, we're going to spoil these movies. Yeah, right? I was about to ask. Yeah, like... I, don't, I, I, I was like <laughs> avoiding saying, talking about Mr. Orange being yeah. the cop. Yeah, there's no reason to hide that. If, if you have not seen these movies, you should watch them before listening to this podcast. And like, obviously. seriously, though, you probably should have seen these by now. Yeah, come on. <laughs> You're listening to Splice Together, one of the select few. <laughs> um. So some other factoids, little interesting bits before we get into talking about it. Um, I'll try and get through this quickly. Um, 
Uh, let's see. So, uh, some trivia. The name uh, of the movie, Reservoir Dogs, comes from a pile of unsolicited scripts that Tarantino saw at a production office. They had them all piled up in a stack that was called Reservoir Dogs because the idea was that the scripts were like dogs fighting for attention while they were trapped in, in a reservoir, which is kind of odd. Script people are so mean. <laughs> it's like, I'm not reading this trash. <laughs> um, all right. Another interesting thing. This one is really cool. So Edward Bunker, who is the guy who plays Mr. Blue, who like hardly speaks in the movie at all. He's barely in it. He is a real life career criminal. Uh, and actually John Voight's character in Heat is based on his real life. And he was a um, like, uh, what do you call it? Like uh, he gave advice for Heat um, consultant. Um, but he eventually became a very successful crime writer and an actor in a lot of crime movies. Mm. Isn't that weird? Yeah. But he was the youngest uh, prisoner at San Quentin at one point. And he held a record for that. <laughs> but, yeah, he's an actor in this movie, barely in it. Um, Robert Kurtzman uh, of K&B uh, did the special effects makeup for the movie for free on the condition that Tarantino would write From Dust Till Dawn based on his story, mm. which is interesting. I didn't know that. Um one of the famous things about it is that at uh, Sitges, which is one of, I, I'm probably not saying it correctly, but it's one of those big Spanish film festivals, uh, 15 people walked out of the screening, including Wes Craven and Rick Baker. Out of Reservoir Dogs? Out of Reservoir Dogs. Uh, because Wes Craven said that um, Tarantino should take it as a compliment that he walked out because he found the violence unnervingly realistic. <laughs> So Wes Craven, master of horror, was freaked out. Is this out. before Scream or after Scream? Uh, that's a good question. I, I can't, I'm not sure. I think it's I don't remember. Yeah, I think Scream was like, yeah, so this is well before Scream. Because <laughs> um, that's pretty violent. <laughs> yeah. Um, the pop singer Pink apparently took her name from Mr. Pink in this movie. Mm. Supposedly. Oh, Isn't that weird? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, this one, uh, some people who auditioned for the movie or were considered to be in the movie that aren't in it, which this is, this list is insane. Uh, George Clooney, David Duchovny, Dennis Hopper, Matt Dillon, James, James Woods was really close to being Mr. Orange mm. and couldn't do it for one reason or another, or I can't remember what the deal is. Uh, Christopher Walken, Samuel Jackson, Robert Forrester, Viggo Mortensen, John Cryer, Nicholas Cage, Ving Rhames, and Tom Sizemore all yeah. potentially were going to be in this. They probably all at one point have shown up in a Tarantino but film. A lot of them Except have, yeah. for Matt D Dillon. And Viggo Mortensen. Damon? Matt Damon. Not Matt, Matt Dillon. Dillon. Yeah. <laughs> um, Terry Gilliam, we saw this in the credits. Terry Gilliam gets a special thanks in the credits, and that is because he gave advice to Tarantino during a Sundance workshop. Mm. Um, the trunk shot in this movie is like one of the, one of his standards, like becomes one of his standards. That's kind of interesting. Duh, Harper, we all know that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, and then this last these last two bits are about the budget, which are really were really interesting to me. So he was going to shoot the movie for thirty thousand dollars on sixteen millimeter, just with his friends, just to make it. Yeah, uh, but then. He heard that uh, Harvey Cattell agreed to be in the movie, which was like his big goal. And so when that happened, that helped raise the budget to one and a half million, which is still extremely low. But, you know, you could like really make it not make it as like an uh, amateur movie. Um, and before this, part of the way part of the way he rose, rode, um, raised that thirty thousand dollars eventually was by selling the screenplay for True Romance to Tony Scott for fifty thousand dollars in 1993. Um and then this is just all super interesting to me. Bits of trivia about how he, how they shot it in specific ways to try and save money. Uh, when Mr. Pink steals the car and drives away, uh, they had to time that stealing with green lights because they couldn't afford to shut down the streets. <laughs> so they had to shoot it with That's Steve funny. Buscemi, like being really careful to time it right. 
uh, so you could drive away. Um, Mr. Orange's apartment in the movie is actually just the upstairs of the warehouse decorated to look like an apartment. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> uh, the Cadillac that they drive was Michael Madsen's actual car. Uh, and a lot of a lot of the, the characters' clothing are those actors' clothing. Like Chris Penn's wearing his own track jacket. Buscemi, Steve Buscemi is actually wearing he's, his suit. It's not slacks. It's actually black jeans that are his. <laughs> <laughs> I just, noticed that in another that movie weird? of his uh, in Pulp Fiction, which oh, we'll really? get to. John Travolta, when he's doing the dance scene, I think mm. it's black jeans. And I was like, that's, that's odd. very strange. And like, I never noticed it before. <laughs> but yeah, so I just thought that was interesting because this is a movie that we think of now as like this huge masterpiece and this big deal. And But at the time, it was like, I've been on lots of shoots where we do stuff like this. where <laughs> You're trying to figure out how to do it for as little money as possible. <laughs> So all that being said, and by the way, this is way the most trivia of any of the movies I have. Like that was well, yeah, mine. There was just a lot of there was just a lot of interesting stuff about it yeah. listed. So, but uh, the others I don't have nearly as much. <laughs> so let's talk about what we think about Reservoir Dogs. So I think Reservoir Dogs is probably one of the greatest like directorial debuts you can have for I a agree. film, um, and I think it's pretty original. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely. Uh, I mean, at the like now looking back, it's funny because it seemed like obviously it was such a big deal, partly because it's so violent and stuff. And now looking back, it's like, well, what was the deal? <laughs> like, it's nothing. Somebody compared. loses an ear, and I mean, hell, we just watched get shot half of an times. episode of a TV <laughs> show that was more violent yeah. than, than the whole movie <laughs> Reservoir Dogs by far. Um, but yeah, but it is super stylish and uh, and really pays homage to classic cinema in a way that I think was not being done at all at the yeah. time. Um, and, and definitely you can see a huge influence on like everything else that came out definitely. in the nineties like this. I mean, you know, there's nothing that came out after this that wasn't touched by this in some way. Yeah. Um, do you remember the first time you saw it? Unfortunately, I don't remember the first time watching any of his movies unless it came out in theater when we were watching them. Yeah, yeah I had a hard time putting my finger down on that, too, on a lot of these. Yeah, I assume we watched this together when we started dating because I don't think I had seen any of his stuff before I met you because you really? were... That's it's surprising. possible I saw parts of Pulp Fiction on TV, but no obviously it would have been like totally edited and different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think I ever watched it before. For me, before I think... Before I met you. <laughs> uh, I think this was probably the third movie of his I think I'd seen. I think I'd seen Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction maybe at this point. And then I specifically remember I rented Reservoir Dogs from Blockbuster because I thought it was some like obscure movie. Because <laughs> you're so good. That I'd read about or whatever <laughs> and on IMDb. And then, um, yeah, I called Blockbuster to ask if they had it. And it was funny because the guy there also he was like what dogs like he was really confused when i was asking for it. reservoir um, down by the reservoir <laughs> yeah so it's funny but yeah i remember definitely i remember renting it from blockbuster so yeah. probably like 2005 2006 so probably... your dad didn't show you this as a child <laughs> no dad acted like i don't think dad had seen it before i rented it with dad yeah i don't think he had seen it. it didn't seem like he'd seen it before um let's talk about um favorite scenes let's do that well, mine's pretty obvious, I think. Go for it. Well, I have two things. I just want to say that I think Tim Roth is the best part of this movie. Oh, he's fantastic, yeah. <laughs> and when he's, like, screaming, I think I like all the parts when he's, like, screaming his lines because he's so, like, oh, desperate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm going to say my favorite scene is the most obvious one, the ear-cutting scene. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's not mine. 
Uh, yeah, why you like it so much? I think it just, it's a very like climactic point. And I think with the music and Michael Madsen <laughs> dancing and stuff, and it's just like, oh, this is really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly a classic. It's probably the thing people most remember from the movie. Yeah. For sure. Um, mine. Plus, you realize like he's insane. <laughs> oh, yeah. That you make, yeah. He just Actually, got out of jail and he's crazy. <laughs> I didn't include this in the trivia, but I thought it was interesting that there was, it was some psychiatrist in a book or something or neurologist or whatever, um, use this movie as an example of how to explain the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath. And yeah. Harvey Cattell's character is a sociopath. Like he'll kill people, but he doesn't want to do it unless he has to. It's a means to an end. Whereas, um, uh, Mr. Blonde, Michael Madsen is a psychopath. He will kill he just for kill fun. People. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it means nothing to him. Um, my favorite scene, and I thought this was the obvious one, but you I mean, you're right about <laughs> yours, but, uh, and it's a long one. It's more like a section, I guess. It's Mr. Orange learning his background story, his, uh, his story that he has to tell them to prove that he's a gangster. Oh, like when he's doing the play he's and rehearsing stuff. his lines, yeah. <laughs> and he's rehearsing his lines and the way that scene is cut oh, is the, just in the bathroom. Brilliant. Yeah. That's a, a long, good scene. It is long, but it's, it's, to me, that's the best part of the movie by far. He's learned because first he's learning it by the script. Then he's learning it. Then he's rehearsing it with his boss, his yeah. other undercover cop, cop boss. <laughs> and then he's telling them the story. So not only is it, it like jump cuts through like the process of him learning it to him actually telling it, but while you're actually hearing the story, but you're also seeing the story, like, yeah. you know, story that never actually happened, <laughs> but you're seeing it reenacted with the cops and the dogs yeah, and stuff. That's a good scene. Yeah. I love that bit. Uh, Tim Roth is definitely the best part of this movie. Although Steve Buscemi is hilarious. Yeah. They both really like play off each other. Yeah. And Harvey Cattell <laughs> is always awesome. He's also, he's, I felt so bad for him. He's such a good You'd, guy. Like, yeah. Movie, he's just yeah. like, he would never do that. Like or whatever, yeah. like yeah, when he, he couldn't be the undercover person. In the end, when he finds out that Mr. Orange, you know, yeah, is, it's is like a betrayal. Wall, it is so, it's so sad. It's very upsetting. Because in my mind, he was probably like, "I'm gonna groom this guy to like take over, or whatever. Like we're gonna be partners in crime." And they're like, oh, "Like you backstabber. Yeah, <laughs> how could you?" <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, did you have a favorite song for this movie? Stuck in the middle of you. Right, yeah, that's a pretty. That's <laughs> I was, pretty obvious. Like though. going through, and there are like good songs, but yeah, since it's from my favorite scene too. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you, and I'm wondering what it is I should do. It's so hard to keep the smile from my face. Losing control, yeah, I'm all over the place. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the and then as soon as we watched it, we were like, I was singing it like yeah, for the I next mean it, week. <laughs> it is like the quintessential song for this yeah. movie. <laughs> I had a feeling you would pick that. So I decided to try to do something a little different with the song Little Green Bag that plays in the opening credits when they're Sing in like the slow-mo. <laughs> uh, oh, I can't even remember how it goes, yeah. but I remember I really liked that song. We'll play it. Yeah. <laughs> So let's to let's do this. Um, oh, I had one other bit. This is not like trivia, but um, connections to other Tarantino movies. Yeah. So this one has more than way more than any of the other movies I had on my list. Um, so here's some connections that this has to other Tarantino movies, just because it's kind of interesting. Uh, 
Vic Vega, Mr. Blonde, is more than likely the brother of Vincent Vega. Yeah. Vincent Vega. <laughs> uh, John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. Uh, there's a Jackrabbit Slims ad on the radio. Uh, Mr. Blonde's parole officer is Seymour Scagnetti. Uh, in Natural Born Killers that Tarantino wrote, there's a detective named Jack Scagnetti. So they're probably related. Uh, in, a fl in the flashback, Joe asks about a girl named Alabama, which is a reference to Patricia Arquette's character in True Romance. These are all movies that he wrote at the same time. Doesn't count. <laughs> um, in Pulp Fiction, the wolf says, you're a good man, Joe. Thanks a bunch while they're on the phone, which is possibly a reference to Joe in Reservoir Dogs, who's the Lawrence Tierney, the crime boss in this. Um, Cabot asks Mr. White about a fence named Marcellus. Potentially Marcellus Wallace. Oh uh, Mr. Blonde drinks These from... like conspiracy theories. Yeah. Mr. Blonde drinks from what is what most people think is a Big Kahuna Burger cup. Is it? It doesn't say is Big it? Kahuna Burger, but the logo design looks the same. Uh, and the last one, the radio station... This is our reach. The radio station is named K-Billy. Kill Bill. <laughs> Whatever. Kabilly. Kill Billy. Kabilly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... What, what the, do you have any other notes about the movie? Yeah, I started trying. I don't know if I had them for all of them. I started to do research on the body counts for each of his movies. Oh, yeah. And this one came up with 11. That's um, pretty good. Which, yeah. But I was going to say uh, or ask, what do you think this movie does better than his other movies? Yeah, I was going to get to that. Because for me, I think... I think he does a lot with very little in this. <laughs> That's literally, I wrote, does a lot with a little. Yeah. That's mine. Yeah. Like everything, great... it's very simple. There's only like three sets, kind of, if you don't count Tim Roth's like backstory scene, because yeah. that goes. Mo let's, more we, you, could, you could say that 90% of the movie takes place in one room. In a warehouse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think for that, it's like, I think that's where his directorial skills come out the mm -hmm. most, because it's like, He's very in tune with each person, each character, and making sure that they interact with each other in the right way in a very right. small blank space. Like, there's not even that much in the warehouse. It's empty. Like, right. <laughs> he, takes, he takes what, in essence, is a very simple story. Heist yeah. goes wrong. There's an undercover cop who gets shot. Like, that's the story of this movie. And yet, it expands to this big epic because of the, the order that it's told, the way he uses editing, and the way... He just stylizes it and stylizes the dialogue to make it super interesting. Yeah, that's what I also cool. think the dialogue is yeah. pretty strong in this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and obviously this was the movie that sort of cemented that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Besides the other ones he wrote. And then I think you, you kind of already mentioned this, but I had a quote um, yeah. where kind of talking about his costume choices and mm -hmm. how for him it's like every single character their costume is basically their armor. So he's kind of taking like based off like on old movies or like samurai stuff. It's like each person, what they're wearing is like them and like what protects them from hmm. everything. Interesting. So, um, I don't remember what I wrote about the suits. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, yeah it was an interesting. That quote. that uh, <laughs> that career criminal guy, Edward uh, 
what Edward Bunker, he's he the what part of his trivia on IDB was that he thought the setup was ludicrous. That <laughs> they would all wear suits and that they'd all go out to eat breakfast together before they do a heist yeah. is like asking to get caught. <laughs> well also as somebody who used to wear a suit working in a movie theater, like it's very hard to even just scoop popcorn like mm. in a suit. I don't know how these people like run around killing people. Like I would. Well, what's his name? Michael Madsen. He takes his coat off before he slices the uh, ear off. So yeah. you gotta maybe stay cool when you're doing. That's that. realistic. I identify with that. <laughs> no wonder Wes Craven yeah. walked out. <laughs> it's like um, take your jacket off, man. <laughs> the only other note that I just wanted to very quickly mention that I wrote down when we watched it was that I love, I like the sound design in the, the commode story when he's telling the story mm. that he uses the, uh, when he hits the hairdryer, it's, yeah. it's like at the sound of an airplane, like it's super duper loud. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I thought it was cool that there's instant in his first movie, there's already great sound design. Oh, and then I guess this probably could have been said before or whenever during we talk about these films. Um, but I had another quote where basically I think a few years ago, he kind of described his Tarantino universe I don't know if you read this, Mm -mm. but um, so he said there's basically the realer than real universe and then where all the characters inhabit that one. But then there's the movie universe within his the movies that people within his movies watch. So like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction is the real universe, Mm -hmm. but like Kill Bill and uh, is what they would go watch. Right. (laughs) The ones that are like overly heightened. Yeah. Like extraordinarily heightened. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I did see that. That is kind of cool. Yeah. It's interesting. I started in those movie connections, the connections in universe between these movies. Yeah. And there's a ton in Reservoir Dogs and there's like almost none in the other movies I did for this first volume. Yeah. (laughs) Very few. (laughs) That's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. So I think that's, I'm good for Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's a great first movie. Yeah, I totally agree. It's not my favorite. Yeah, but well, it we'll is, rank at the yeah, end. Yeah, we're gonna rank at the end of <laughs> uh, end of volume two. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not my favorite, but it is still ex- excellent. Yeah, it's very good. Well, and, that's the thing with all his films; yeah. they're all like I hadn't top rated. It's funny. <laughs> I hadn't seen. I will say one last thing. I hadn't seen Reservoir Dogs in a very long time, at least probably seven or eight years, probably when we watched it last week. Yeah, and uh, like. Most of these movies that we rewatched that I hadn't seen in a while, as soon as we got into it, I was like, oh, man, I totally forgot about this one yeah. awesome scene and this <laughs> awesome scene and that awesome thing and that really cool bit of editing. Like, there's so much to love. And, you know, I kind of forgot about it because this is it's early and it's, you know, it's it's not quite as flashy now as like Kill Bill or Pulp Fiction are necessarily, but yeah. it's still really fun. And it's just a great movie. Agreed. So onwards. When did Paul... Uh... When did Reservoir Dogs come out? Uh, 92. So two years later, 1994, we get Pulp Fiction, which is basically Reservoir Dogs on steroids (laughs) (laughs) with a budget. (laughs) Um, So just a synopsis, Pulp Fiction is the lives of two mob hitmen, a boxer, a gangster, and his wife, and a pair of diner bandits intertwined in four tales of violence and redemption. Mm -hmm. So we have... Samuel Jackson playing Jules Winfield. Jules Winfield. And then John Travolta as Mrs. Vega. <laughs> uh, Uma Thurman as Mrs. Mia Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> and basically everybody from Reservoir Dogs show up at some point. <laughs> Steve Buscemi as 
Oh, I'm going to talk about Buddy Holly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's part of my connections. All right. Um, so I'll go through some trivia, but I might like save some this for while yours. we talk about it. it. Yeah. So let's see. Oh, well, I haven't seen this. So one of the things, the most famous scene from this movie is when they do their dance, obviously. Okay. But that is famous. It's I mean, like when every every clip is like that. Is <laughs> Fine. Whenever like a news channel is talking about Pulp Fiction, they'll pull the dancing scene to okay. show. So. Um, but I've never seen Eight and a Half, and apparently the dance was copied. Most of it was copied from oh. what the dance in Eight and a Half. I did not know that. I'm glad I, you've seen it, right? Oh, it's I have been weird. I saw it in school. <laughs> I purposely did not read the trivia for the movies you were covering. Okay, and I hope you did did not. There's maybe one I, I read. I might have skimmed, but I didn't write yeah, anything so that's down. Because I did not know that. That's really interesting. I had yeah. no idea. It's not, it's not the I, same song, obviously, right? No, and I went back and watched it, and it's not like the trivia said it was movement by movement, but I was like, eh, not really, because the other one is but way longer. Close? Yeah. But yeah, the beginning is definitely like they're doing the twists and stuff, and it's on a stage, and it looks like it's framed the exact same way. I didn't know that. Um, so speaking of the dance, where it takes place jack rabbit slims was entirely a set yeah um and it was the most expensive set it cost one hundred fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> wow well yeah i i wish it wasn't a set because i i i would know i, know, I thought it was real yeah for sure <laughs> i think if whenever he makes things like didn't he make a drive-in for once upon a time like he should just keep them open <laughs> yeah really or that might have been a miniature i don't know um let's see so some of the famous people who almost played roles mm -hmm. in this film, this one, I kind of wish it had happened, but for Vince Vega, are you ready? Daniel Day-Lewis. What? Really, really, really wanted to be Vince Vega. What was he in around this time? Like My left my foot, left, maybe? My two left feet or whatever? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that was crazy. Wow. Um, also, James Gandolfini was considered. really intense. <laughs> but he ended up recommending John Travolta. You know, I'm surprised Gandolfini's not in any attempt. He's only yeah, true, he's, he's like, in True Romance. He's yeah. great in True Romance. He probably should be in it. That's but shocking. I'm just yeah, Daniel Day Lewis. Wow, that would have been crazy. He would have been a drug addict for real. <laughs> yeah, he would have definitely done that. Um, <laughs> and then the other role that I focused on was Butch the Boxer, who is played by Bruce Willis. Uh -huh. uh, so a few people, notable Matt Dillon. Yeah, he was the one who's yeah. almost going to be in Reservoir Dogs. Too. And then Mickey Rourke passed on it because he wanted to focus on his boxing his career. actual boxing yeah. <laughs> career. Wow, that's pretty interesting. And then apparently Bruce Willis, he um, he was kind of the main draw for this film. Apparently huh. his films were kind of failing at this point. Yeah, and this, this kind was, of this like revitalized part of his career. Yeah, he, like all his movies that weren't Die Hard weren't doing too well in the right. box office. But he, Bruce Willis was still the majority, majority of the budget. Um, so this film, I'm surprised it, Travolta wasn't. Yeah, I That's guess surprising because he was kind of on the outs too. I guess. Uh, yeah, I guess this is like 15 were. years after Saturday Night Fever. So. Yeah. Um, so the total budget for this film is only eight million dollars, and yeah. five million of that went to the actors' salaries. Wow. So really, it's like three million, and the Jack Rabbit Slims <laughs> set. Yeah. Um, a notable scene: Christopher Walken when he's doing his. Uh, watch. He wore that watch thing. up his ass. There's a part where he pauses. He actually forgot his lines, <laughs> <laughs> but then he remembered it quickly enough that it seems more natural. Because I think he even looks off the camera. He's like, 
That's funny. And then, uh, and then let's see. Uh, there was a lot of stuff like that for Reservoir Dogs too, like things yeah. that went wrong, like where you could see Tarantino's <laughs> hand as the director, like yeah. in the frame and stuff, <laughs> and it just worked, so they kept it in. Yeah. Um, also, for the Gimp torture scene, they were originally going to put uh, "My Sharona." as the song <laughs> but it was apparently being licensed for reality bites which i've never uh, seen yeah, i haven't seen that either i also don't remember what song they went with now yeah, i don't remember what's there <laughs> is it it might be yeah <laughs> um also pam greer auditioned for lance's wife's role as uh-huh. jody yeah, I did see that. but quentin tarantino thought there was no way she'd ever be talked to or told to shut up by lance <laughs> yeah no kidding that's <laughs> and, a great yeah. point <laughs> I would not buy that. Yes. And I think he even told her like, no, I, I'll have another role for you sometime. Sometime. Very and soon. she was probably like, yeah, right. Whatever. I do like Roseanne Arquette in that role though. Yeah. She's like far out, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think I didn't write this down. I think it's for this movie. It might've been for Jackie Brown. So I don't know if I'm stealing a, okay. a trivia, but apparently when she went to audition, he had posters up of oh, her I did, everywhere. Yeah, I, had, yeah. I didn't write that down, but yeah. And she, she was yeah. like, she was like, you didn't have to put these up because yeah. I was here. He's like, I was to going to take them down because you're coming. <laughs> <laughs> he genuinely is a big old Pam Greer Yeah. Fan. And then Join my the last uh, thing, which we can talk about basically with the chronological timeline of the movie, since it's kind of all over pl- the place. Yeah. Technically, the last scene is when Butch and Fabian mm-hmm. ride Fabiana. away on the chopper. Zed's chopper. Yeah. Because you hear it. Apparently, you hear the sound of their chopper going from the restaurant as John Travolta really? and them walk out. You hear a motorcycle. Oh, I didn't know that. So you don't see it, but technically... That Dude, means their thing. See, man, Tarantino first. pays really attention to those little bitty sound things that nobody would notice. I didn't mention it, but also in Reservoir Dogs, apparently um, Mr. Pink, Steve Buscemi, is still alive in the end because apparently if you turn it way up, yeah. you can hear after the cops start shooting outside, you can hear him go, you shot me, you shot me. <laughs> <laughs> and then they yeah. ar- you can hear them arresting him. <laughs> well, I'll bring that up. Uh, I'll just do one of the connections I had written down for him. So a lot of people think Steve Buscemi in Pulp Fiction is actually Mr. Pink from... What? That he's the only one who escaped. He made the comments about being a waiter in the beginning of the film. Mm. And then as a cruel joke, he is now a waiter. Wow, that's very <laughs> Either funny. undercover or like in disguise or like just trying to make a living. That's pretty funny. <laughs> so I don't know if that really counts You want or not. it burnt to a crisp or bloody as hell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, no kidding. That's a pretty funny one. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I don't know if it's an actual like connection, yeah. but I like to think it is. Kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> so... Back to the movie. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, I love Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Pulp Fiction was, I think, the second movie of his that I saw. And I think I saw it on, like, IFC, like, late at yeah. night on TV. Um, yeah, it's, oh, it's just, like, the coolest of cool movies, well, yeah. right? It's no longer men killing in suits. It's men dancing and killing in suits. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, like, cool as a cucumber. The whole movie is super fun. I'm, this Like, one of the things about all these movies, I think... And we'll t- probably talk about this a lot of times, I'm sure. But like any Tarantino movie is like an event. Like yeah. I can't like some of these we were going to watch and like I was going to work on something in the background. And like, I, was, nope. I, just, I can't <laughs> like you can't not pay attention to it because there's so much fun stuff going on. It's just perfect. From yeah. Shot to shot. Um, Pulp Fiction is definitely one of my favorites. Um, I just some notes I wrote when we were writing it that the badass opening 
the freeze frame of uh, yeah. Honey Bunny when she starts to ride the place. <laughs> I love you, Honey Bunny. Yeah, uh, they freeze frame that and it goes straight to the boom. <laughs> it's yeah, just it's a great so opening. <laughs> awesome. And the, I love, I had forgotten that the title, the Pulp Fiction title, moves backwards and it goes super slow yeah. while the other credits pop up. It's really cool. Um, There's just a ton of great moments in this that are funny and cool. And otherwise, like one of the ones I wrote down that I'd forgotten about is when uh, Vince is like, um, yeah, Marcel's is going out of town. He wants me to take care of his wife. And you're seeing them just from oh, behind. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't see their faces. And you see um, uh, Jules is like, take care of her. And he holds like, up yeah. fingers like a gun. <laughs> it's like, uh, no, take yeah. her out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like one of the things I wrote is I really like how he makes Vincent super relatable as like a protagonist in those two seg- sections. Yeah. Well, he's like kind of an asshole in the um, the section with the wolf, right? Like he's really obnoxious yeah, and Jules is. is annoyed with him. <laughs> but in his own story with with Mia, like he's very relatable and like you know he's he's the great protagonist. But then in Butch's story, he's like the absolute villain. Like he's on the toilet about to murder him, and yeah. they, they, he gets killed because of that. So. It's, I love that the movie, there's not like good guys and bad guys. There's like just a bunch of like mixed up dudes yeah. intertwined in this crazy story. And also I forgot with Butch and uh, Vincent's relationship, they kind of start off hating each other. Like mm-hmm. he's really, he talks down to him yeah, about being a boxer. And then I think I read somewhere that either Quentin Tarantino confirmed or somebody put it together that Butch is the one who keyed his car Oh, and no kidding. Because he's like, someone like keyed my car, man. I totally they're talking about in the about streets. That. And because I think it happens out of order, so you don't right, right away put it together. That is interesting. That does yeah. make total sense. Yeah. He's like, of course he would do that because he called him like a pansy or yeah, whatever. Yeah, he's like, you're no friend of mine. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Boxer boy or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also think for, I think coming off of Reservoir Dogs, this movie. It seems like, I mean, every single movie has great dialogue, but I'm starting to think these first two, it's just like a journal of whatever Quentin Tarantino, like his shower thoughts. Because <laughs> there's so many like long dialogues between people where they're like talking about burgers and it's just so natural. It's like what you would have conversations well, with friends or whatever. It's natural, but it's also super stylish. Yeah. Like that, I think that's what makes it. That's what makes it especially great is that like anybody can write like cool sounding gangsters, yeah. like in an old French, like heist movie or whatever, but it's very hard to do that and also make these seem kind of like real people. Like yeah. they're definitely, this movie, they're pretty heightened still, but they're also not like totally unbelievable. No, I believe they're real people inside. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean like, you know, but, but very, but at interesting points in their lives too, every character is reaching like a turning point in this movie, right? Yeah. Like, you know, uh, Vince has got this like big thing where he's kind of falling in love with Mia, but you know, and has the whole, uh, he can't fall. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And then, uh, Jules, you know, having his crisis of conscience where he decides he's going to walk the earth. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and Butch obviously wants to turn on the gangsters and escape with Fabiana. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's just such a clever story and there, and, but it's super clever the way it intertwines, but it also goes in places that no other director or writer would go like uh the scene with the gimp for example just comes out of nowhere yeah like there's just you like you're like oh i get it like the crime these guys are going to be shooting in the streets you know I've seen yeah. that before like that's cool but we've seen it but then they fall into that dungeon where you know yeah. spiders caught a couple of flies <laughs> there's, there's and nothing like what is going on there's nothing like that in any other movie and it's been imitated and parodied a million yeah. times that's yeah yeah 
I also think this movie is secretly a relationship movie. Oh, yeah. I remember you you said that when we were watching it. I thought that was super interesting. Yeah, like every single person, like everybody comes in pairs. (laughs) That's right. And it could be like friendship relationship or like Mia and Marsalis or they're like they're married, but maybe their marriage is on the outs because they barely see each other. I don't think you never see them together. Do you? yeah once uh once, when when, yeah. when he's calling the wolf she's there by the pool oh yeah and that's like the only time you see her and mm-hmm. then butched and why oh, can't i say her name is it Fab- i think it's fabiana yeah and then you got pumpkin and honey bunny uh-huh. they're just like balls to the walls well, it's like, <laughs> and, and jules and vincent are like jules is starting to realize that like vincent's just like kind of a jerk off and that yeah. like his whole his, his whole life has kind of been meaningless and then yeah. he has to do something different <laughs> with his life based on the fact that vince is kind of a dummy <laughs> and kind of it's like uh vincent's character is kind of like shopping around for a new person in his life because when he goes to like the drug dealer's house he's like oh there's uh they have there's like an extra girl in the scene like oh, do you right. want to go with her and he's, and then mia comes in he's like oh do you want to be with her and like or yeah. do you want to stick with your friend jules <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> yeah i think you're right i think this movie is in a lot of ways all about like these relationships between these characters and that they're all making a choice to change those relationships even the dungeon people have a relationship that's <laughs> true the spider zed, zed and the yeah. gimp um go wake the gimp up yeah <laughs> i love if, do you ever pretend that harley's the gimp and you put your hand on her head and just tap your fingers <laughs> no like <that>? <laughs> creepy <laughs> i'm gonna do that she's sleeping <laughs> <laughs> wake her up yeah um and then let's see what else uh well i guess this movie soundtrack it's one of the best oh, movie fantastic. soundtracks ever. <laughs> it's a famously good soundtrack. Yeah. It's one that I feel like, I feel like for people who don't have a lot of movie soundtracks in their collection, this is one they would likely have. Yeah. I don't know how I feel though. When he puts all the like quotes into his soundtracks, I don't know if I like it or hate it. I, cause you can't be like driving or listening to it at work and then hearing like all of you motherfuckers stop <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. mother F-U-C-K. Yeah. I, um, yeah. Like, oh, turn that down. <laughs> I prefer when he does it like, I can't remember which, some of them do and some of them don't. Some of them have them as separate tracks in between. Reservoir Dogs is like that for yeah. sure. It's the radio DJ in between the songs. I like that better when you can just skip it. Yeah. But like in this one, like the uh the song at jackrabbit slims like it's got the ladies and yeah. gentlemen start literally starts the track so so i don't know if i like that or hate it yeah that's a good point but yeah <laughs> but i'm glad he puts a little effort into his oh, clearly, all of his stuff even from the beginning of reservoir dogs clearly he has a, he's extremely invested in the music that goes in the movies and yeah. that's a huge part i don't i wouldn't guess that this uh there were a lot less movies before reservoir dogs that used pop culture um, songs, pop songs. Well, also as... it must be so expensive. I mean, I'm sure oh, he yeah. picks stuff that are more rare well, and obscure, but that might make it more expensive. It said something about <laughs> Reservoir Dogs, like they were having a really hard time getting the songs until they made a record deal to for the actual soundtrack, like to yeah. make the soundtrack. And I would guess after that, because it was so popular and probably more so as it gone on, it probably got e- much easier for him because he could just like, because everybody wants to be on one of his soundtracks because, yeah. would, you know, those, <laughs> the soundtracks probably sell a lot. So what's your favorite song? <laughs> Mine in this movie, I had a real hard time because there's some great ones. Uh, I mean, yeah. the opening song is great, but I actually, I went with uh, You Can Never Tell by Chuck Berry, Marvin Berry's cousin. Uh, Sing it. <laughs> it was a teenage wedding oh, yeah. and the old folks wished The actual dancing. Love that song. 
For me, I ended up doing the same thing as I did for Reservoir Dogs. I picked a song and a scene together. Mm -hmm. So I guess Quentin Tarantino gets me. (laughs) So what is it? Um, It's Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon. And it's when Mia Wallace is singing along to it right before the the incident. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. Girl. Well, what was your um, favorite uh, scene? scene? Yeah, mine is uh, when Jules and Vince go to Jimmy's house, aka Quentin Tarantino. Because we'll <laughs> but talk. He says a- the N word like a hundred. Yeah, times. that's problematic for sure. So I will. This I wanted to mention this specifically because of this scene too. I hate it when Tarantino is in his own movies, which is in yeah. every one of his movies, essentially. <laughs> um, he's usually very distracting and not yeah. great as an actor. I think his cameo should be non-spoken. Well, in some <laughs> of them they work and some of them they don't. It's okay in Reservoir Dogs because nobody knew who he was. Yeah. And he doesn't, he's not in it that much. And in this, but I will say in Pulp Fiction, I think he is great. I yeah. think he's very funny. And I think he actually does a really good, it's a great performance. But yeah, I, I put the that scene in particular because there's so many parts of that scene that I love. Like I love when he, the way he says it, when he's like, uh, she comes home from work in an hour and a half yeah. <laughs> graveyard shift at the hospital. <laughs> and then the other part about that scene that I laughed my ass off watching is when they're like, uh, when, uh, if Bonnie comes home and finds out she's going to freak and they yeah. show what would happen. Yeah. And it's like following her behind the hallway. And then she turns around and they're carrying this body yeah. through the kitchen. It's so funny. He doesn't really do that too often. No, it's a it's, great comedic yeah, moment. I, it was funny when I wrote this down, I didn't even know what to call it. It's not a flashback yeah. or a flash forward. It's like a, a possible vision. future. Yeah. Know. Vision. Yeah. It's so, so funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this whole movie is hilarious and intense. It, it's everything that a Tarantino movie should be, right? It's yeah. like, it's very funny. It's very cool. It's very intense. Uh, yeah. So yeah, but that, I love that scene. The whole scene at Jimmy's house is yeah. really great. And I love how he's super polite to the wolf when he gets there. He's like, oh yes, please do come in. <laughs> now these oh, are which nice she's, towels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's so, he's so rude to, I mean, with reason, yeah. rude to Jules and, and Yeah, Vince, I do like the, how nice he is. But he's super he nice to this total stranger. Yes, Mr. The wolf. wolf. <laughs> yeah. It's great. <laughs> whatever you need yeah um so yeah my favorite scene was i kind of already mentioned was when mia wallace is singing along to the uh song when she's about to overdose and then carrying into the actual overdose soon oh man just because it's so like intense and there's so it's so chaotic and like but also kind of funny too because what's his name is like trying to find uh his textbook on how to like give the adrenaline shot he's like i know it's in there and she's like i don't think it is in there or whatever like his wife is just following him around (laughs) you're also not mentioning one of the the two two really funny things about that right around the whole part with the you'll be a woman soon yeah 
when he's in the bathroom when he's in the bathroom yeah, yeah and, and he's yeah and he's like what you're gonna do you're gonna go home you're gonna jerk off you're gonna go to bed yeah. no big deal but is, is it then or is it when he first gets to the house when he does the thing that's become such a meme when he's like that's looking, when he first like, gets okay to the house. he doesn't know where to go yeah. and he's like looking around he's like, uh, I love he's that, high but, out of his yeah, mind he's super high. <laughs> um but yeah that's my favorite scene. Yeah, that's a good one. That that whole story is great. It's yeah. real. That might it might be my favorite story overall. Like if I had to pick one of the segments, one of the chapters, it, yeah. I would maybe pick that one because Mia Wallace is such a great character too. She is, Catch and up. she had to be convinced into doing this role. Yeah, this is our first <laughs> Uma Thurman's first uh, yeah first appearance in a Tarantino movie. Um. So, the question of the hour is what's in the briefcase <laughs> well you know there's the, so many like i know what he said yeah. i've always subscribed <laughs> to that thing that they said that it is marcellus wallace's soul yeah and that it escaped out the back of his neck where his band <laughs> is i agree with that it's great it's a but great... i think i saw some others like i've never seen well i haven't seen true romance in a while but there's like a gold suit that somebody mm. wears they yeah, think it's think elvis's so. gold suit. oh right yeah yeah that's right uh but yeah the soul thing with the 666 briefcase yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, so I have a couple connections mm-hmm. for other stuff. So one of the biggest ones um, is Fox Force 5, Mia Wallace's oh, TV sure. show, which is obvious connected to Kill Bill plot. Yeah. It basically is everything Fox she Force said. Five, Deadly Viper yeah. Assassination Squad. <laughs> um, and it makes sense because Uma Thurman and him created that idea during pulp fiction so real i didn't know they created that early yeah that's interesting that's where the the first idea came up for that's cool um christopher walken's character captain coons Mm -hmm. is a descendant from Django. crazy craig coons Mm. who plays him and Django? i'm trying to remember like i was trying to remember who that was i can look it up while you talk okay um i already told you the steve buscemi thing (laughs) oh yeah that's and better. then the only other thing I have is that Fruit Brute cereal oh, is yeah. in Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. Apparently. And probably in a lot of his I see. Yeah, I saw that in the trivia. There's like are, different flavors. There are a lot of old, outdated cereals that show up in his movies. I yeah. didn't realize that was a thing. <laughs> uh, let's see. I haven't found it yet. Uh, what was it? It was Captain Crazy. Crazy Craig Coons. Yeah. Crazy Craig Coons. And then. Uh, I don't know. It's not showing up in the IMDb. So I don't know. Yeah, I guess I'll have to figure it out. It might just be somebody they mentioned or something, but yeah. that's cool. Um, and then this, I don't know how it compares to, well, the body count is seven, which seems okay. really low. I don't know. Not that many people uh, get. A lot of people well, get killed. <laughs> it's, there's the two guys. Let's see if we can count them up ourselves. It's the two, the two guys. Well, not the two guys. Only one dude in the Gimp's place gets killed. The other guy assumedly gets killed later. I don't but, know if the Gimp itself got killed. I don't think he's dead. Uh, there's the guy that Bruce Willis kills in the boxing match. There's Marvin. There's, uh, the other two dudes in the apartment or three, three dudes, right? I think it's three. Yeah. So that's six. Who else? Who else is there? Uh, Vince Vega. Oh yeah. Yeah. He gets killed. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's it. Okay. I guess it's always seemed like more. I don't know why. Yeah. Nobody in the restaurant gets killed. Vince is the only main character that gets killed really. Yeah, and it happens before the rest of it's like in the middle of the movie, yeah, and you're like, bef- "What's happening?" There's stuff with him before. That's and when you after. start realizing everything's in yeah, out, of out of order. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, watching it now, you kind of take that um, 
for granted. Like I just don't even think about it. Yeah. But yeah, that's obviously a huge. And part people of this complain movie. about Little Women having confusing timeline. Like, come on. Yeah, give me this a break. Pulp Fiction, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, guys, movies need your participation. I yeah. need to break it to you. You have to pay attention. And I want them to spell it out for me. <laughs> Um, so I think that's pretty much it that I have for Pulp Fiction. So well, we, we didn't anything. say, what do you think this movie does better than his others? Uh, well, I kind of mentioned in the beginning, I think it's like, I think he just takes everything from Reservoir Dogs and takes it to the next Makes level. It so it's more his style, more intense dialogue. But there, I think there's greater moments between all the characters and mm-hmm. it's more intersected than the first one. I very much agree. So like bigger universe basically of tarantino (laughs) yeah i I wrote down this movie tells an intertwining story with a huge cast but still gives each of those characters each of those characters their own personal character building moments definitely which is impressive yeah to say the least even small characters you like know who they are (laughs) all right so pulp fiction so three years later we get a little movie called jackie brown (laughs) uh so here's what i wrote about jackie brown which i'll just go ahead and break it to you jackie brown's maybe my favorite and certainly one of my favorite uh quentin tarantino (laughs) movies so jackie brown is based on the book rum punch by elmore leonard it's tarantino's only adaptation um jackie brown is a is tarantino's love letter to black exploitation films like coffee and foxy brown in particular uh, features performance and basically Pam Greer, yeah, her whole career. <laughs> uh, featured performance by some classic black exploitation performers like Pam Greer and Sid Haig, and revitalized the career of Robert Forrester, who was nominated for an Oscar for his performance in this movie. The only thing it got nominated yeah. for. And I think I read that Quentin Tarantino was really upset that both Pam Greer and Samuel L. Jackson did not get nominated. Yeah, it is a little surprising. But is it surprising? Fantastic in this movie. Hashtag Oscar so white. That's true. Yeah, it is funny that in a black exploitation movie, the white guy is the guy who gets nominated. Not saying he doesn't deserve it. No, Robert Forster is awesome in this movie. So um, adorable. <laughs> so while this movie is generally not quite as excitedly reviewed by audiences, uh, it was highly reviewed by critics at, at the time, and in many ways was a huge step forward for maturity for uh, in maturity for Tarantino, and is perhaps I think it's his most rewarding movie to rewatch. Yeah, um, it's less about cramming in as many references and fun moments as it is about building the characters, their relationships, and decoding a very very complex plot. Of double and triple crosses. Yeah. <laughs> it is the most fun heist movie. Not heist, but a con movie, I should say. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so, yeah, when I first saw... Well, yeah, when I first saw this movie, um, I think I rented it because I had seen probably Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. I think Actually, I think I just straight up bought the DVD. I went to, like, Circuit City mm. throwback. Yeah, Circuit bought, City. Bought the DVD. <laughs> yeah, I think, pretty sure I bought the DVD sight unseen. Um, and watched it by myself, uh, and just was like blown away. Yeah. Um, I, to, cause part of, like I said, I think this movie is super rewarding to rewatch because watching it the first time I was like, this movie is so cool and I have no idea what's happening. I was so confused because <laughs> the plot, the actual con plot is very complicated and there's a lot of like twists and turns to it too, Yeah, which is what a great con movie should be. Um, but the more you watch it, the more it makes sense. And it's just so expertly put together. Definitely. Um, so some quick, uh, I only have a few bits of little, a uh, few bits of trivia for this one. Um, so some other actors that were considered, uh, Sylvester Stallone was considered for he Lewis. He was actually, I didn't mention, I think he's been considered for most of his weird movie. I think he was going to be considered the boxer in 
uh, Pulp yeah. Fiction. Yeah, that would be a little weird, though, right? Yeah, a little too <laughs> Have on Rocky the nose. play the boxer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah he would have played Lewis on um, Robert De Niro's role, which is kind of interesting. I love have... Robert De Niro. <laughs> yeah, he's great. He's so good in this. Um, John Travolta was almost almost played Nicolette, which is uh, Michael Keaton's character in this. Oh, that would be weird. Um, and then <laughs> people that could have played Max Cherry other than Robert Forster, Paul hmm. Newman, and Gene Hackman. Hmm. I could probably see Gene Hackman. But... Yeah, I could see that working. Robert, Robert Forster's, Forster's so perfect. Yeah. This. His character is His eyebrows perfect. bring it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the book Rum Punch that this is based on is a sequel to another Leonard book called The Switch. And um, which, uh, yeah, I've actually read both those books and they're both pretty great. They're pretty different from the movie, but yeah. um, they're pretty interesting. Um, and interesting bit of trivia that Tarantino was arrested for shoplifting the book, The Switch, when he was 15. It was oh. the only thing, the only, his only, quote, brush with crime is what it said. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, well, so- I also read that he was super scared of, uh, I think he was working with the author. Yeah. And on the script or something. Oh, yeah. And he was really scared to, like, talk to him because he changed so much. Well, yeah. Yeah. It, most, most. Notably, he changed the fact that it's not Jackie Burke, who's yeah. a blonde Californian surfer girl, <laughs> to Jackie Brown, who yeah. is black exploitation. You know, it, he turned the movie into a black exploitation movie. It had nothing to do with, with yeah. black culture at all. Which I think just shows like well, what a good writer he is. Yeah, because you would never that guess off. that this wasn't yeah. straight from the novel because it's so perfect. Um, this is uh, Tarantino's first movie to take place in chronological order. It's not his last, but it's the first one that's not all over the place in yeah. editing. Um, although there are some, a little bit of like flashback stuff that happens, um, in the actual con part. Um, this movie has the lowest body count of any of his movies. There's only four people that die. Yeah. It's like, I want to see if my count was right. Yeah. Had four. Can, we, can we name these ones? Let's see. It's, uh, uh it's been a while since I've seen this. L- Lewis know. gets killed by, by Samuel Jackson, by Melanie. Melanie gets killed by Lewis. Um, Ordell gets killed by the police. Yeah. Uh, oh, and Chris Tucker gets killed in the trunk. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, so, yeah, it, it's not it's not remotely as violent as his other movies, but no. I think that actually works in his favor because they use that scene with Chris Tucker to set up how ruthless Ordell yeah. Roby is. So he's extreme. It's, it's not a movie where you're just like, oh, people are just getting killed left and right. It's where the entire movie you're super scared for the main character that she might get killed by this yeah. really ruthless gangster. Um, some movie connections to other ones. There's not a lot. And actually, uh, yeah, this, this one is more like a, just like connection between the production, I guess the white Honda that she drives is the exact same white Honda that they crashed in Pulp Fiction. Mm. And some, he got it fixed. <laughs> like it wasn't totaled. Apparently he got it fixed. That was, I think that might've been Tarantino's car or something. Well, I think he does that in a lot of his films. It's all like his personal stuff. Yeah, he just he, throws it in. his house look like? Yeah. It's insane. Um, the, and the only like in universe connection, this, and this is a weird one. There is at the mall, there's an Akuna Boys cup mm. at the mall. Just the cup. Yeah. Which uh, the Akuna Boys are the From gang. Clint Tarantino's personal gang. collection. Yeah, so weird. Uh, Esteban's gang in Kill Bill 2. And there's uh, another cup in Death Proof and an ad in Grindhouse mm. for the Akuna Boys, like Tex Mex, <laughs> whatever. Um, so those are the only re- connections. Th- this movie really stands kind of on its own. It doesn't really participate with the other one that doesn't really have a dialogue with his other movies which i think is maybe another reason why it kind of gets overlooked a lot but i could also see like coming off pulp fiction like you're expecting this crazy like complicated story and you get jackie brown's a little more subdued and straightforward yes i think this is a movie um 
that that more than probably any of his other movies, I would say, uh, except for maybe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has, I could say the same thing, yeah. that these are real people. Like, yeah. And not like they're based on real people, but they are, these characters are totally believable and have real world problems and are not living in like this heightened, violent, uh, you know, almost cartoonish world at all. Like yeah. this movie's very realistic in terms of the characters. Um, so yeah, tell me about your, what's, what's your experience with Jackie Brown? I'm pretty sure we watched this together and mm -hmm. I remember the first time not liking it as much or maybe not getting it. Um, and then I think we rewatched it like maybe a few years later and I was like, this movie's awesome. And yeah. then we did watched it again. It's like, this is even better. <laughs> so I don't, yeah, I don't really remember. I remember my first reaction. Like I used to put this at, like near the bottom of my ranking. I think, yeah, I think most people do. Yeah. But then I think the more you go back and watch it, the more it's like, Oh, this is amazing. Yeah. It's <laughs> super rewarding to rewatch always. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, to me, uh, yeah, this is, I think it's his most mature movie because it's maybe not to most people. It's not his most fun movie because it's not just over the top and intense and fun, but it is so, it's got such great characters and it's a, just a really, really great movie. It's not nearly as showy with how, you yeah. know, it's, this is not a movie that's uh, about like, Hey, look, I really like this movie and this movie and yeah. this movie and look how <laughs> clever I am here and look how funny this is. It's more about like, I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a con movie using a bunch of black exploitation um, tropes and I'm going to make it really, really good. Yeah. Like that, this movie, it's just a great movie. Yeah. I think, that's what I kind of wrote for why I think this is better or what this movie does better than his other ones. Yeah. It's um, also just what you said. And then like how the cast feeds off one another where each player is like super important in the story, but it doesn't feel as separated as Pulp Fiction does. It feels like mm -hmm. they're more intertwined, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, it's all about the same thing. Like, yeah. The plot, it's all the same goal. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I put for my what this does better than his other movies is that that's the other thing I think stands out with Jackie Brown. Like, if you asked, if you asked me, like, what's the theme of Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs, I'd be like, I don't know, like, being a gangster's cool. Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, we said the stuff about relationships in Pulp Fiction, and that's valid. Yeah. But to me, Jackie Brown is maybe that, and and again, this is funny. Uh, well, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood falls in the same category. Um it actually is dealing with like a real world, like thematic concept. Yeah. Like it's, and, and in particular in this movie, it's about the conflict of getting older and how that, how you deal with that and how you approach getting older. Yeah. So or Max Cherry, Max Cherry and <laughs> Pam Greer and their, their relationship. This is, yeah. How many movies, how many big budget movies can you name where like that aren't marketed for like senior citizens where the two leads in a romantic relationship are like in their late, how old were they when this movie was made? Probably uh, 56, at least I would say early sixties, late fifties. Well, let's see. Pam Greer is born in 49. When and this, this was 97. Math. <laughs> <laughs> she was almost, she was about 50, right? Almost 50. Uh, sure. Let's say that right. <laughs> my brain's not working. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I even overestimated how old they were. Yeah. But I mean, the whole movie is about how, you know, she, she's doing this con specifically because she can't go to jail and start over because she did. She can't, she doesn't feel like she feels like she's too old to go to jail and start, have to start all over again. Yeah, definitely. And Max Cherry is the same way. He's like, I don't know why I'm doing this anymore. Like yeah. he has such a dangerous high risk job and he's like, you know, 
I'm ready to settle down. And the man ain't paying That's right. <laughs> the government. <laughs> so, yeah. And again, I will look out for yourself. <laughs> yeah. I'll say again, too. Uh, this is, I think, one of Samuel Jackson's best movies. Oh, I like apparently he came up with his outfit. Really? And yeah. his crazy goatee and his yeah. little weird and ponytail his long, thing. long, like, wispy ponytail. Yeah. He, um, <laughs> yeah, I think actually Samuel Jackson said this is his favorite. Either his favorite performance of his own or his favorite performance in a Tarantino movie for sure. But, yeah, I think I yeah. see that. <laughs> he's great because he's, he's, I think in most movies, he's kind of comedic relief. He's cool and he's funny. Yeah. In this movie, he's cool and funny, but he's also really scary. <laughs> he's super menacing and, yeah. and you know, intense. Um, so yeah, I think he's really good in this movie. I also think for this movie, just from like the opening credits, I think, Tarantino starts paying attention more to like backgrounds and cinematography more than his other films. Sure. Um, there's more like, I guess, environments there. He takes a, uh, I don't know. He takes advantage of like the environment around them. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like the mall. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That whole mall thing. Yeah. And we just watched, or, or I was looking at a cool article that we can post in the notes about, um, how the opening shot this guy uh in this interesting article talked about how the opening credits for this movie is tarantino's best sequence ever because it uh it's set with almost no dialogue but essentially no dialogue it sets up exactly what you need to know about jackie yeah. wordlessly like that she's a, a, a stewardess that she literally figuratively and literally is, has a lot of baggage <laughs> that because she's going through an x-ray that we're going to take a close look at her character that, you know, she's, and she's rushing to get on the plane. Like, you know, something's wrong. Yeah. She, uh, she's uh, on that flight to Cabo. She her her bags don't get checked by the security. So mm -hmm. it sets up like everything you need to know about what's going to happen. It's yeah. And it's really brilliant. And it's a, a major homage to the graduate the whole opening shot where she's moving sideways from right to left is just like the opening of the graduate. I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was your, what's your favorite scene from this movie? Favorite scene. Well, I haven't seen this film in a long time, so I kind of just scrolled through YouTube videos yeah. to try and see what I remembered and liked. So I picked when Melanie is taunting Louie, uh, kind yes. of throughout the mall yes. yeah <laughs> through the mall and into the parking where lot did you park, Lewis? and it kind of just reaffirms the whole like getting older thing where like he can't remember he's like this gangster guy he can't remember where he parked his car he doesn't know how to get out of the mall and this young like tan blonde mm -hmm. chick is just ridiculing him to death so he does the only thing he knows how <laughs> i wish bridget fonda was in more tarantino movies I'm i think she's great she hasn't yeah been. i think she's really good in this she's yeah. super funny and entertaining and she's just a great tarantino kind of character like, and elmore leonard kind Lewis? of character <laughs> yeah. is it in this row Lewis? oh no is that back to sears <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's just uh, yeah that's a good I one i thought it was funny <laughs> yeah that's a good one there could be better scenes but that when i was going through youtube that's what i picked <laughs> mine is uh I, and this is one of my favorite tarantino scenes overall is there's this great scene it's when uh ordell first comes to jackie's house or apartment to um see basically he's trying to find out if she told the cops about him yeah but he's playing it real cool yeah and she's like making him a drink and he's slowly turning the lights off and putting his gloves on oh and like so you slowly start to realize he's trying he's going to kill her yeah and then as that's happening as he's turning the lights off and it's getting it's so dark you can't even see what's happening on her side <laughs> it does a split screen and we see 
the other side where Max Trey finds out that she told, stole his gun from his car. Mm. And then uh, right when he notices that, you hear the gun click and she's like, get your hand <laughs> off my neck. <laughs> and it's just bad. It's like the first moment when you're like, all right, Jackie is mm. a badass. Yeah, she knows so, what's up. Yeah, there's no, no fooling her. Yeah. It, it's, it's a great scene because it's super suspenseful. It's, and uh, it really sets up how uh scary ornellas but it also set, makes you love jackie yeah like you're like okay i get it she's nobody's gonna mess with her no because <laughs> uh, she's f-u-c-k hey, jackie scene. brown <laughs> that's right um so yeah that's my favorite one um do you have a favorite song from this movie <sighs> of course dude tell me this is jackie brown the best soundtrack he's ever done maybe i think maybe maybe <laughs> i think so um the one I like to sing to Harley <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I don't remember how it starts, but like the hundred and ten street. Oh, okay. I, I think Womack. that's what you're gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's the opening credits song. Yeah. It's the, the entire, the opening credits are this entire song. Yeah. Yeah. Across, trying to yeah. catch yeah. a woman, that's me. I thought when you said singing a song to Harley, that was my favorite song also. I sing about Harley all I the time. I thought you were going to sing long time woman. Oh. <laughs> I'm a long time woman. And I'm serving my time. No. <laughs> yeah, we do sing that now. Right now yeah. Which is. Pam Greer singing. Yeah. <laughs> I've got, I could say so much about this soundtrack because I had a very hard time picking them. <laughs> Strawberry Letter 23, Delphonics. Oh, I almost picked Delphonics. That's a great one too. We didn't, didn't, didn't I blow your mind this time? Didn't <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And also, uh, I wanted to mention, um, oh man, I don't remember what it's called. There's a weird song on this soundtrack. Ugh, I have to look it up now because it's really strange. Um, that for years, I was just like, what is this? It's so strange. And it plays when there's uh, Melanie's listening to it in the car at some point. Okay. The song is by the vampire sound incorporation and it's called the lions and the cucumber. Mm. And this song is so funny. I've, I've heard it for years on this soundtrack. And then all of a sudden I heard it in another movie and it blew my mind. It is from vampiros lesbos. Huh. A, oh yeah. I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's one of the, one of those weird seventies, like erotic vampire movies. And th they have, it has this super weird, um, like sixties, uh, sa psychedelic soundtrack. And that yeah. was a song from that score. <laughs> and it's used in this movie, like something Melanie would just listen to in the car. It's super weird, but it's great. <laughs> I just want to mention that, of yeah. course. Um, but yeah, Jackie Brown. It's, this is one like, I bet lots of people listening to this have, I hope you've seen Jackie Brown, but yeah. I urge you, if you're not that crazy, but I urge you to go back and give it another chance because I think it's criminally over, overlooked. Definitely. And underappreciated. And you can rewatch it with your parents. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's Moms fantastic. love it. Dads get it. <laughs> What's not to love? <laughs> It also set up a lifelong crush on Pam Greer. 
Oh, we know all about that, Harper. Yeah. Love that one. I think you might die if you ever were in the same room I as her. I, would. I think I would. Or you turn bright red. You're turning red now. No, you can't just say that on a podcast it's real. and make it true. All right. So any last thoughts? Nah, let's, let's go. All right. So now we're taking it up a hundredfold to Kill Bill, volume one. Oh, yeah. Bah, bah, bah. So this is 2003. When mm-hmm. was Jackie Brown? 97. So this is a, so this is a long big break. jump. I wonder if it took that long to film. I did not write it in my trivia. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, so a quick, synop- a quick synopsis. Yeah. It's uh, after awakening from a four-year coma, a former assassin wrecks vengeance on the team of assassins who betrayed her, a.k.a. Fox Force 5. <laughs> the Deadly Viper really. Assassination yeah. Squad. <laughs> Um, so this film stars Uma Thurman, probably her best role ever. It's pretty good. Probably ever. It's probably her biggest role ever. Biggest and best, yeah. But, I don't know, Poison Ivy? Oh, God, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, but tons, This the whole movie is packed with basically anyone who's ever been in a Quentin Tarantino film, plus Lucy Liu, Vivica Fox, Daryl Hannah, um, a thousand great martial arts. Yeah, <laughs> just anybody you can think of, except Sonny Chiba. What's his name? What's Bill's name? David Carradine. Yeah, he's technically not in the film. He, well, you never you see like, him. Do you, don't you like see his lips? You or see something his hands and you hear him. I always forget it. that because he plays such a big role in the second one. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's funny. But yeah, like I was going back and like, wait, you don't even see him in the first volume, and then like in the second volume, I don't remember being that shocked. Like. This is who Bill is? Like, yeah. Yeah, that's um, interesting. I always forget about that. So, let's see. Some trivia. Yeah, hit me up. This one's got some good trivia, I bet. First off, no N-word is used in Kill Bill. About time. It's the <laughs> first know. movie without it. I'm Thanks, sure. Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't mention it. You know, Jackie Brown was, like, super controversial. It got into a big public argument between Spike Lee and Tarantino about that. Oh, Spike Lee thought he shouldn't be using Correct. it. Correct. And, yeah. and Samuel Jackson defended Tarantino. Yeah. I think Samuel Jackson has done that in a lot of his films. Yeah. Like in Django, I think I read. Yeah. I mean, you know, Spike Lee Jamie came Fox. after Django, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's see. Samuel Jackson, who has been in every movie except Reservoir Dogs, is technically in this movie, too. You don't realize he's in a bigger scene in the second volume but in the first volume he's in the shot with the at the wedding he's the dead oh, organ player oh, I didn't know so you do see shot. him in it so technically it counts okay. All right. <laughs> um well plus tarantino considers this one movie volume one and two he considers it one movie yeah even if we're gonna keep it we'll keep two. it separate but it'll probably overlap yeah throughout um so some other potential bills who could have been played mm-hmm. Which, Bill Clinton. No. <laughs> I'm actually kind of sad Bill about Thornton. this one. Warren Beatty was really supposed to that I was think he was going to be a more suave Bill. Um, yeah, it said like you'd be a James Bond type yeah, or Yeah, and he, he's the one who uh, recommended David Carradine, but I kind of wish Warren Beatty had been it. <laughs> yeah, And then cool. some people who passed on the role, Jack Nicholson, which I think is hmm. bizarre. Yeah, that would be weird. Kurt Russell, I could see, because now he's been in, like, all of his stuff. Sure. But he's a little rough, too. He would have to be, like, a Texas, like, uh, yeah, cowboy I or something. I don't, even in action movies, I don't read Kurt Russell as, like, no. super competent, generally. No. Like, like in that kind of, <laughs> like, kung fu master. 
We've all seen him in Overboard. <laughs> <laughs> Big trouble. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mickey Rourke again, hmm. uh, which I, I don't that. I don't know about that. <laughs> I can see that. Burt Reynolds, I would have fucking loved. Wow, that'd be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Kevin Costner, I could see, but I don't think it would be that awesome. I don't hmm. know. Interesting. Uh, and then this isn't really like somebody who passed on it, but I think he really, really wanted Lucy Liu to play the role. And so he actually really? rewrote the script to for it to be oh, a to Chinese, Japanese, American because character. Because that's what she is yeah. in real life, right? Yeah. To, basically, he wrote the part for her. That's cool. <laughs> that's really cool. I didn't realize yeah. that. I wish she was in more good movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of disappointing, but also like, I'm sure as Asian actresses, you don't really get your first pick of movie roles. Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> Um, also this actually had a lot of like censored trivia. <laughs> hmm. Oh, so, yeah, I know one of them for sure. A couple of them, these, <laughs> the car in the film, Pussy Wagon, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, P-U-S-S-Y. was cen- censored, yeah, to, uh, say Party Wagon. On t- How did they even do that? Apparently it says Party Wagon, I think in the trailers too. What? There was actually a lot of censorship in the trailers. Weird. Yeah. So. I didn't know that. But also, uh, this is more related to the second volume. But Quentin How dare Tarantino you take that trivia. From should me. I? I'm just kidding, it's, we're talking about the. I'm just teasing. The wagon, the P wagon. <laughs> um, apparently, he drove that car around promoting the yeah, second volume, and, like, and it was oh sitting. God. It's still supposedly it's still in his driveway. No. <laughs> is what it said on the other trivia. Uh, so some more censorship stuff. They also for the trailers when they showed the bride bloody mm-hmm. it's they had to change the actual red to a dark like Isn't color it black and white not in some of the scenes huh. i think um but it had to be stained like brownish color or something because hmm. the red would be too bloody Shocking. i guess yeah and so also that is one of the main reasons why in the crazy 88 fight scene it is in black and white because the uh what are they called the Raiders, the, the MPAA. Yeah, they said it was too much, and they he needed to tone down the violence to appease the censors. So yeah, he made it black and white. That's funny to me because I always before I knew that it seems like such a great stylistic. Well, choice. it said like that's also like an homage to what they used to have to do on TVs and that like for TV movies really? and stuff in the eighties and seventies to that's tone it down. But yeah, like. Two thirds, so it really, kind of goes with his style. Like too. a third of it, the fight is in black and white, and a third of it is in blue silhouette, where you yeah. can't see the color of the blood either. It's yeah. kind of interesting, yeah. Um, let's see. So, blood count four hundred fifty gallons. How does that compare to Dead Alive? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'll look, look it up. up. You, you keep going. Yeah. I'll look it up. And then this has a super high body count, but I kept getting different numbers. So the yeah, one I saw was ninety five. All right, so let's name them. Okay. <laughs> so Crazy 88, one. Yeah. Crazy 88, number two. <laughs> um, but I think 76 of those are done by the bride, a.k.a. Beatrix. <laughs> um, played by Uma Thurman. Well, we're going to have to do some conversion here because it's 300 liters of fake blood. Oh, no. O- only in the fi- <laughs> That's only the final scene and then yeah. it all in Dead Alive. And it also says the lawnmower scene. It was pumped five gallons per second. <laughs> that's a lot. So that might still beat Kill Bill. But yeah, there's yeah. a lot of blood in Kill Bill. <laughs> yeah. And then eight of the kills are animated. Ah, yes. Which, oh, yeah, I read too. This sort of pertains to both volumes. 
that those animated ones are the only kills in which a man kills and not a woman. Mm. Like most of the kills are made are women are the killers, except for the gangster guys in the animated section. Well, she ends up killing like three people in the animated. Section. Yeah. But I'm just saying in yeah. the animated section, there are guys, men who kill. And that's the yeah. only place in either volume where men kill anybody, which is weird. Um, and then the last little piece I had that I thought was kind of, it goes along with the soundtrack. So Tarantino heard the five, six, seven, eights cover song, um, while he was in Japan, he was in a store and it was the store CD. And basically he was like leaving to get on his flight and he didn't have time to track it down. So he made them sell it to him, the store's copy. And then he like later figured out who it was and like put them in the movie. (laughs) Remember how great that song was before it was used in like every Sprint commercial or whatever? They probably like it though. (laughs) (laughs) I still like it. It's definitely a big part of that sequence. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's all the trivia I have for that. Unless you have any extra trivias. No, I didn't write any trivia. I wasn't sure why, do you know why he chose to do the anime section? I don't in particular. Um, I didn't see that like list anywhere. Yeah, and I wish I knew for sure, but I feel like some of the people from the animatrix were involved in making that. Maybe. It would have been right around the same time. Um, but I guess it also goes with like, he said this would be part of his like, his real universe's movie universe. Right. So like, it doesn't have to make sense. Well, and I, I would guess he did that because this movie, like volume one is definitely like martial arts slash samurai movie. And yeah. volume two is more of like a Western. Yeah. And volume one, like, so to do like samurai slash, uh, um, uh, martial arts movie, you can't kind of ignore like the anime yeah, history of definitely. that too. And like, that's a big part of that genre. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, What's your history with Kill Bill 1? I'm trying to remember this, too. I don't know. (laughs) I'm very poor at remembering where I watched Quentin Tarantino movies. This this one, I'm 95% sure this was the first Tarantino movie I saw. We ran another one. I think we rented it from Blockbuster. Yeah. And I think I didn't even know who Tarantino was. I'd never heard of him. Yeah. And I will say, Kill Bill Volume 1 is not my favorite Tarantino movie now, although it's incredible. This is the movie that made me want to work in movies for sure. (laughs) I saw Kill Bill one and I was like, this is unbelievable. I, it totally blew my mind. And I was like, I've got to figure out how I can be involved in this. Yeah. So it it was a huge, huge impact on my life. Um, and just kind of blew me away. Cause like, I mean, I, I still don't feel like I've ever seen a movie like Kill Bill, especially volume one. Yeah, definitely not. Like it's just, and you know, if you have, it's like, ripping off some him or well, some other and like movie. most great movies like samurai martial arts movies i mean then there's a lot of great ones i mean we talked mm-hmm. about like police story and stuff and Jack, police story Jackie Chan movies are great. <laughs> um, most of those movies have like a couple great scenes or sequences this entire movie is a great sequence yeah. like there's nothing in this movie that isn't fantastic like it's so much fun yeah so yeah this was a big big movie for me for sure yeah and i guess going into like how i think this what this movie does better than his others i think this is where it's just like he really pushes color cinematography oh, yeah. like cinematography in this movie is pretty amazing it's like the snow the scene and like i think his action is just like also off the <laughs> charts and then his use of blood i think he really comes into his own here <laughs> yeah that, and that all that's a big reference to stuff like lady snowblood which if you haven't seen lady snowblood which i haven't <laughs> we need to watch I've, i saw it a long time ago it's great yeah. and kill bill is 
basically a straight ripoff of like, like if you had to say one, it takes from one movie. Yeah. It's, it's almost a remake of Lady Snowblood. Yeah. Um, and the blood stuff is very similar to that. Yeah, and for it's this great. movie, I just said this entire movie is style. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's all his style. It's everything. Costumes, dialogue, yeah. like action. Yeah, I to me, I put this is his best action movie. That's yeah. what this does better. Is yeah, just uh, especially in terms of like martial arts stuff, and also having like super strong female. Like a lot of his movies totally. have super strong female leads. I know he got a lot of flack for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but like if you go back through all his movies, like no post Pulp Fiction, yeah, you've yeah. got Jackie Brown, Kill Bill One, Kill Bill Two, uh, and then and Death Proof is yeah. all women, all characters. about women, yeah, being badasses. That's right. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I I absolutely love this movie. I mean, we like you could go through a million um, great great scenes. There's like just tons of great stuff. I mean, even I'm just thinking, even just popped in my head. It's such a small part, but when she's in the yellow suit and riding in the motorcycle, and, see, and she's yeah. next to them, the whole Yakuza gang's riding around her. It's just like it has nothing, no bearing on anything else. But it's yeah. so cool, <laughs> and the great, you know, the great music and um, yeah. yeah. So speaking of music. What did you pick for your favorite song? <laughs> this movie has an excellent soundtrack, but to me, this one was obvious, and that's Run, Fay Run by Isaac Hayes. Which plays when it's during the anime sequence when they show that she's grown up and she's an assassin and she's sniping down those guys in the car. I don't remember that one. It's super stylish. It's like a, it's it's very um, like funky '70s spy sounding. Hmm. It's like, broom, broom, jin, da, 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 da. you know, well, we're going to play it in the episode, Yeah, <laughs> but it's an Isaac Hayes song. So, you know, it's funky and awesome. Yeah. Um, I love that song. And it's actually from an Isaac Hayes movie called Three Tough Guys. Apparently no surprise there. Um, so I kind of had two favorite songs I couldn't pick. Yeah. One is from the opening Bang Bang, My Baby Shot Me Down by Nancy Sinatra. Oh yeah. That's a good one. that one's a little literal it's like what's happening on the screen but i think it it fits perfectly yeah and then the other one was don't let me be misunderstood which i think oh, is yeah. the, the it's it's part of the um right before okay you don't hear the whole song yeah it's in the the snow scene yeah. fight and it like cuts off right when they're about to like start yeah it's the lead in it's after five six seven eights after the crazy yeah. eight eights fight it's between Crazy 88 and Orenichi. And it's like a 10 and a half minute song and you only get like a minute of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that 
fight scene's awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll mention uh, just a music thing. This pertains to both volumes. That Julie... Uh, Julie Dreyfus, I think yeah. is her name, who plays the um, like her assistant, yeah. Renny, she's assistant. She recommended two of the songs that show up in volume two that are really hmm. good songs um, because her father directed, uh, I can't remember which, what the name of the movie was, um, but her father directed that movie that had this great score in it that they use hmm. for a couple things in volume two that are really good songs. Um, yeah, I love, I wish I, I see you watched volume one by yourself. I didn't get a chance to rewatch it before this. Yeah. I'm trying to remember what is she, when, um, when they're playing that awesome song, it's like, oh, no, no, oh. No, and she's about to cut off Julie drives his arm and like start the fight. Yeah. What does she yell out before you see her? It's in like Japanese, uh, but it's so cool. I think she just yells Orenshi's name. Yeah, it's it's something like that. But yeah. it's just the way she says it, it's, it sends like chills down my spine. Yeah. It's so <laughs> cool. Yeah, I mean, oh, and, and by the way, we didn't mention um, that this movie might have, I, I don't I don't have anything to back this up, <laughs> but it might have his longest one take. Oh, well, that's my one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, go I for was it. Bring up. Talk about it. Uh, so it was right before, I mean, I think the crazy eight, eight fight scene is pretty amazing, but I actually like right before that happens is the long, the five, six, seven, yeah. eight song. Um, so it basically shows, uh, the bride. Um, mm-hmm. she's a kind of like spying on Orenshi in the Japanese restaurant. Yeah. And you kind of get to see like the entire, she, I'm trying to like, remember how it happens. Like, uh, or when she senses her outside of the oh, yeah. room she's that like, they're eating, and she, yeah, like, turns, and she like throws, throws the a thing blade. through the wall. Yeah, oh, God, um, it's so cool. And so Uma Thurman like uh, jumps up onto the rafters yeah. and is Ugh. like up there. And then when she falls down, she like walks out and down through the restaurant, through like the crowd mm-hmm. into the restroom while the band um, is playing live. Yeah, and then. Uh, it goes into the bathroom. Yeah, it's in the bathroom, that, and then the like the stall. Yeah, it does that super cool of. like transparent blue thing. Yeah, and she overhears the phone call. Yeah, and then she walks back. That's when she ta- she I think she takes Julie hostage. Well, you see oh, her. What's come, her character's name? I don't remember. It's like she comes back to the same. I remember it was like the the way that the bride walked down the. Sh- uh, stairs is like this, like they mimic each other's movements all mm, the way through. That's cool. But I'm trying to remember how that happened. Like, but it, that, yeah, that shot is super brilliant because not only is it insanely cool and difficult, and I think it took them a crazy amount of time to yeah. film. I can't remember. But, but you get to see like all the behind the scenes stuff you, going yeah, on too. You get to see every character that's going to be involved in the fight. Yeah. You get to know the entire layout of the, of yeah. the building <laughs> and it tells the story. And it's just the super impressive one shot because on top of it being a very complicated one shot, there's also a live band playing yeah. during the shot. So you cannot mess it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. Uh, her character's name is Sophie. Sophie. Sophie Fatale. Yeah. Yeah. And then right. uh, there was like, it said in the trivia that the I will let you keep your cinematographer life. or whoever he like famously passed out after they got the shot or no. something. <laughs> that but, sounds yeah, ridiculous. that does sound ridiculous. No way. Like it took like 16 hours or something to get it right. I'm surprised it was that short. Yeah. <laughs> I would have guessed it would take a few weeks. So I didn't include Probably that, that much rehearsing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I put, I mean, you, so that's your favorite scene. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, I put the crazy eight eights fight. Duh. Yeah. If, I mean, if you count that part, which is like an hour of the movie, <laughs> Yeah. you know, uh, I, well, okay. I'll say this. The crazy eight eights fight is great. I'm going to actually back up, back out on that and say the fight with go, go is better. 
well, it's kind of within it. I mean, it's part so, of it. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, the fight with Gogo is great. Uh, winner of an MTV award. <laughs> um, I hate, there's a noise they use in that, which you, it's when, no, oh, no, no, no. I know what you're talking They about. use that noise twice and they actually use it. I'm pretty it's, sure in the animation they scene, include that on the soundtrack, which I think is yeah. so cool. It's like when his teeth are breaking and then they use it when Gogo throws her chain around her neck and is like tightening. tightening. Oh, it's a great That's like sound. The worst sound I've ever heard. And it makes like, it's ugh, like the sound of, teeth. I hate it. It is it like is, the sound of yeah. teeth breaking. It's a great sound effect. It's it brutal. is great. And well, I hate the it. The fact that it makes you squirm. <laughs> it means it's a perfect, perfectly like sound when they they kept doing it in the animated partners was like oh my god it's like some it's the equivalent of like nails oh yeah the that's right in the me. anime part the guy gets <laughs> shot or whatever and then he yeah. literally he bunches down his teeth so hard that they, they shatter crack. yeah yeah that's right it's oh like, i forgot Ugh. about that so cool <laughs> i don't want to no <laughs> um michelle can we watch cub of arm one tonight yeah <laughs> <laughs> out of order <laughs> oh so good so good yeah and then I guess this film how I'm trying to remember how out of order it is with other stuff. Oh, it's super out of order, isn't it? Well, we are going back, and it kind of seemed like it wasn't that crazy. I thought Orenishi was like the last one. There's a lot of flashbacks. One. Maybe so. I thought well, it was Bill is the well, last Bill, yeah. One. I mean, before Bill, I can't. I can't remember. You might be right, but yeah, it's it's pretty out of order. Yeah. Because like, because I know for sure as... in the first volume, one of the things that makes it so exciting to watch when you before volume two came out was when she's on the plane, yeah, making her list. She's already crossed out a name, right? Yeah, like I think she's already killed. Well, no, she wouldn't have already killed Bill and L. Her she... first kill is definitely Vernita Green. Right, right, right. Maybe she goes to get the sword made before she does that. I think that's what she yeah. kills. Vernita goes to Japan. Oh, interesting oh. bit of trivia. <laughs> I don't think I wrote this down, but. She goes to all that trouble to get the Hattori Hanzo sword made. Yeah. Orenishi is the only one she kills with the sword. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> Just, she, I mean, she kills, kills all the hundreds of people yeah. in the crazy 88 scene. Yes. But of the, of the five people she set out to kill, only one of them gets yeah. killed by her sword, by a sword at all. Yeah. I also like that the airplane has sword holders. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. This is the movie that is the most like heightened the most it's, this is the movie where it's the least believable. Yeah, you can't definitely. say like, there's no, like, there's no way that she killed like a hundred people in this club and no, the police never came, yeah. <laughs> you know, she's carrying a sword on the plane. Right. Also, I was trying to, I don't know if we want to save this as we go into the second part, but when it ends on a cliffhanger where he's oh, like, yeah, does good. she know her daughter is still alive? And it's like, ah! Oh, and then it like how i would have like i kind of wish we had seen it in theaters and then like <sighs> i, I want to know what the reaction would be because i feel like half the audience would be like suitable b-i-t-c-h and then the <laughs> other half would be like <laughs> yeah. so like I, if you had to wait like i think it came out a year later right? yeah i think it, what you said one was 2003 it came out october 2003 and then volume two came out 2004 for sure uh april months. 2004 so six months yeah I think which he, I think they, is normal. They for said they part movies. They said they wanted to time it out with the DVD release of yeah. Volume One, which makes sense. So yeah, can you imagine waiting six months after seeing no, all I that? Could. <laughs> I really could, because I, I mean, especially because Volume One is so over the top. It's like yeah. you would be watching that and being like, "How could they possibly top this in Volume yeah. Two? And the answer is they, they don't. maybe don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It feels very unbalanced. I think. Yeah. Like, so, so we move into Volume Two then. Let me look through my notes real quick and make sure there's nothing else. I mean, there's tons of homages to like samurai films and stuff. Um, lots of blood, lots of spray. I like the spray blood a lot. Oh, yeah. like when, it's especially so when, when Sophie Vitale gets her arm cut off and she's just she's flailing like, ah! around. 
Yeah. And then when the uh, guy falls down off the railing into literally a pool yeah. of blood. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that's pretty much all I got. So, yeah, moving on to volume two. So, six months later. Yeah. Kill by volume two. <laughs> um, apparently, I never finished writing my intro because it's one sentence. It says, Do you want me to do a synopsis? <laughs> uh, uh, let me just say this first. I said, in Tarantino's only sequel, we get a bit less bloody action and a bit more character development. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the bride continues her quest of vengeance against her former boss and lover, Bill, the reclusive Bill. bouncer, Bud, and the treacherous Bud. one-eyed L. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> L is actually right. pretty awesome. I love We didn't Elle, talk yeah. about the that hospital scene. Yeah. Oh, Harper. That was good. <laughs> I can't whistle. <laughs> so, yeah. Volume two. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so some quick trivia about volume two. Uh, Robert Rodriguez composed some score music for this movie for a sum total of $1. Seems like he can get a lot of people to do himself yeah. well, favors. <laughs> and it's, a, it's all in bartering because Tarantino then directed a scene in Sin City for $1 no. in return. <laughs> uh, which, yeah, I... I wish I could say this for sure, um, but th- I think that makes this Kill Bill Volume 2 his first movie to have a score written specifically for it. Yeah. And there's not even that much. Like, the only one I could... I mean, I think there are some bits of, like, Spanish guitar and stuff, maybe. Yeah. But the main bit is just that that end credits song, which I don't think was written specifically for the movie. I think it was just Robert Rodriguez's band, that mm. Malaguena Salarosa song. Um but obviously that's a big part of the movie. But um, yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting because well, later Morricone, he did a lot of the songs. Yeah, but they're all from other movies. Oh, well. yeah. I mean, like everything, all the everything used in this movie, including the sound, half of the sound effects in Kill Bill Volume One are from other movies, which is crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so oh, speaking of sound effects, there were two Wilhelm screams in Volume One. <laughs> oh, there's one in all of his yeah. movies, I think. Yeah. Um. There's a controversy with this movie very recently uh, when the whole uh, Harvey Weinstein stuff came out. Uh, one of the big uh, Uma Thurman was one of the big people talking about that because she had some issues with him, obviously. That son of a bitch. Um, yeah, to say the least. Uh, but the controversy in particular was that there's a scene. It's really funny because it's not even like an action scene where she's driving this cool car on a dirt road yeah. to go meet Esteban. Um, and there were no stunt drivers on set that day and Tarantino Uma Thurman was worried about it, but he convinced her to just drive herself in the scene. And she got into a fairly bad car accident where she, uh, she had a concussion and maybe broke an arm or pulled, dislocated an arm, something like that. Hmm. Um, but anyways, like she should have been put in that position, obviously. Yeah. Um, but then even worse than that, then she tried to get the footage to sue, um, the company to sue Miramax and Weinstein would not give her the footage unless she signed to release the company of all liability. Oh my God. (laughs) So, which is why after he was arrested, then she posted that footage. Yeah. And it was, you know, so that was, so that this movie played a big role in his, you know, kind of downfall after that, which is interesting. Um, And (laughs) sadly, yeah, that shouldn't have happened. That's a, that's kind of a a black note on, uh, on Tarantino's. Yeah. Where uh, was Zoe Bell? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Well, I don't know if she's a driving stunt person. Well, I was trying to remember when we watched the scene, it didn't look, was she driving she does, fast? She's driving very fast. And it's on a dirt road. It's on a big hilly road. They shouldn't she have made went, her like, drive fast. In then. the shot, she does. She literally like yeah. leaps over the hill. And I think it was like there was a curve that came up, and she like hit a tree or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but yeah, he shouldn't have put her in that position, obviously. Yeah. And and unfortunately, it caused a major rift in their relationship for mm-hmm. a long time, and That's hence sad. why she hasn't been in. I don't think she's been in anything of his since then, right? No. I think they've I don't know since. If she would fit into. 
maybe not uh, but she was so good in house yeah. of jack built um <laughs> but yeah i think God. they've since reconciled but yeah this was that was like a big break because this movie was like their movie they wrote it together yeah. you know they so, created yeah the so um yeah so that was kind of interesting um uh pai Mei, who one of my favorite parts of this movie is the whole the cruel tutelage of pai Mei section um he's played by a guy named chia hui liu i'm sure i said that terrible <laughs> that was awful 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 uh but he is the same guy that played johnny mo in volume one that who's like the lead of the crazy 88s the guy with the cool wooden sword sheet. yeah i think he was cast because of his awesome screaming yeah. yeah it is awesome <laughs> he apparently did it in some other film and that's why he picked him <laughs> yeah i mean he's clearly like a great martial artist yeah. um but yeah it's funny i never knew that i don't think i ever knew that because he's so Pyme is such a different character and he looks so yeah. different um and i think somebody else was gonna play Pyme and something there was some reason why it didn't work out so they used him again and he's great <laughs> um the story with esteban uh where he uh tells where he talks about Esteban, played by Michael Parks, where he talks about how when Bill was a child, he was in a movie theater sucking his thumb. Yeah. Uh, obscenely. To an obscene <laughs> amount. Um, that is a story that Kurt Russell told Quentin Tarantino that Kurt Russell did as a child Aww. at a drive-in theater when he saw Marilyn Monroe on the screen. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And um, ironically, he married, or didn't marry, he's been with a uh, Goldie Hawn that's for true, like yeah. 25 years or more. Um uh, Daryl Hannah improvised her freak out after she got her eye pulls out, pulled oh out in the trailer. <laughs> she said that she did it to make Tarantino laugh. <laughs> so she went way over the yeah, top. Yeah, it's insane. And it did make him laugh, but he's that he loved it so much they kept it in the <laughs> film. And it said that she went so crazy that she sustained a bunch of injuries from breaking stuff in the well, bathroom. Well, she broke like the entire set. She breaks what like was a mirror. She like destroys happen? everything. Yeah, I have no idea what was going to happen. I'm trying to remember what Uma Thurman's uh, reaction was during that. Yeah, <laughs> he I think likes she to do that a lot. Out. Yeah. Like how many films has he had where he keeps something that like was improvised right. or an accident? No. And I think I, that's an, it, not to digress too much, but I think that's a great point that I think that's one of the things that sets him apart. I think is that yeah. there are lots of directors who are extremely meticulous. We have in to planning. do it this way and this way only. Right. There are lots of directors who do that, that make great movies. Yeah. And I think part, I mean, a lot of his movies have obviously a lot of incredibly meticulous planning, but yeah. I think he's also very open to changing things. Well, yeah, I forgot like in Pulp Fiction, Samuel L. Jackson flips a table and mm -hmm. that was improvised. He ended up keeping it because he liked the reaction from the other guys so much. And then, uh, I feel like there's there's probably more that's coming that well, we, we'll I think talk about in those other films. There's a lot of improv improvisation that uh, gets kept, but also I think he really, um, I think he takes the input of his actors really seriously. Yeah, it seems that like was, they all work together on it. Yeah, that was another thing in, in this that scene that um, I think initially the fight with L was going to be very similar to the fight with Oranishi, like very intense, yeah. very serious sword fight. And part of it is, but obviously the way it ends is super silly, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, I think that was Daryl Hannah's idea or something like there was definitely something about that where she decided she said that she thought that character would react differently or something. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a big part of his success, too, is I think he lets his actors have a lot of input on how things go. And that not only means they're a lot more invested in the characters, but it also means his films have a lot more variety because it's not all coming directly from him. Well, I feel like when she freaks out, that's such out of character for her. Oh, it's so Because like, so she's great. so like cool. And well, actually, no, I take that back. The first time when Bill tells her not to kill in the hospital, and that's when she's like, what are you? F-U-C-K. Or yeah. whatever. <laughs> and she freaks out. <laughs> yeah. I love Daryl Hannah this movie. Oh, and yeah, I thought it was interesting that apparently, I don't, you take this with a grain of salt, yeah. who knows, but 
supposedly Daryl Hannah and Uma Thurman legit hate each other in real life. Well, and that, like, they, they quoted in the trivia, like yeah. they didn't, uh, they didn't show up together when they won best fight at the MTV movie. Awards <laughs> they didn't show up together. But no, there was something like that. They were, they requested like separate trailer, separate. Uh, yeah. They were never to be in the same room unless they had to it be could or have been something. on purpose though, for like their character maybe. development. But I think, I think maybe it adds, if that's true, it adds to their fight. Cause yeah. they really hate each other. <laughs> the characters really hate each other. A um, little bit more trivia I had. Um, so volume one has 40. What, how many did you say deaths? Well, it said 95, but I don't know if that's total for both or not. Yeah. I couldn't. I tried to look it up and it was very it's, like. It's, it's not because two has yeah. almost none. So the, the trivia on two said compared to the 41 on screen deaths in mm-hmm. volume one, which I guess counts people who, you know, 100% are dead and not just bleeding. or yeah. whatever. Uh, volume two has only three deaths yeah that's bud bill and pie may that's it yeah because they're like do we know if l dies yeah question, question mark. mark in, the, in <laughs> yeah. the credits yeah yeah exactly so yeah it's a much more subdued in terms of like violence yeah um i've i've this was a little piece of trivia but i thought it was great made me real happy that apparently um the passion of the christ was uh had an eight week streak at the mm. international box office until killed by volume yeah. two came along and broke that streak bye jesus yep. <laughs> um so uh yeah, so that's all the trivia I had for. Oh, I had two two quick connections to other movies. In, Good, because I have like none. <laughs> so, uh, and this this is another one of those like production ones, not really movie universe, but there's a gas can in Bud's trailer that is the same gas can that Mr. Blonde uses in Reservoir Dogs. <gasps> How did he get it? <laughs> uh, and now this is the other one. I don't know if I knew this before, and it's pretty cool. And it's obviously it's like conspiracy theory, yeah. but Rufus, the piano player, Samuel Jackson. Yeah. May or may not be jewels from Pulp Fiction. What? Oh, I think I read that too. Because in yeah. Pulp Fiction, he says he's going to become a drifter and walk the earth. Yeah. And then Rufus says, I was a drifter. Yeah. He also, he says like, I was a drifter. I was a temptation. I was a whatever. He's naming bands. Yeah. But it's pretty weird that he would say I was a drifter. Like, you know, maybe he just ended up here at this church. Like, yeah. He's lived a lot of lives and now this is where he's ended up. So I thought, I thought that was actually pretty solid. I yeah. think the drifter thing seems too good for Tarantino not to have done on purpose. Definitely. As, a, as somebody who's so obsessed with films and little details, right. like he obviously handpicks oh, everything man. that gets put in. Watching those, there's lots of videos where you can see like all the film references in these movies and like it's especially insane. the Kill Bill movies yeah half the you, it's i knew i know there's lots of like visual things but i didn't realize how many lines of dialogue are lifted straight from other movies which yeah. is pretty intense pretty in- insane and like how long would it take somebody to do all that <laughs> well i think he's just got this you know the same way that's like encyclopedic right knowledge the same way that everything. i have i i could quote you lines from like simpsons or mario rpg or whatever yeah. <laughs> i think he could he could just quote you know when he's writing this stuff he's like oh that cool that cool line from that one movie would be great um, so yeah, let's just get into the general stuff here. So what, what are your thoughts on volume two overall? I definitely like it less than volume one, but that doesn't mean it's not good. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think it's very like, there's so much action over the top stuff in volume one, that volume two in comparison, watching it back to back, it yes. just doesn't hold up. I would bet watching them, watching that whole bloody affair version where they're both together. I bet the stuff in yeah. volume two works, but I mean, Granted, okay, let me say this. When we started to watch Volume 2 the other night, I, as soon as it started and we started getting into things, I was like, oh, man, because I, I was kind of like, uh, Volume 2, whatever. It's not nearly as cool yeah. as 1. There's all this stuff in it that I'd forgotten about that I loved. I love the stuff with Pai Mei. I love the fight with Elle in the trailer. I like um, I, I like the stuff uh, with Bill in the end, where you know, when they're kind of playing it cool around BB. Yeah. It's really cool. 
Uh, there's some great stuff in it, and it's just, yeah, it's hard to compare it to volume one that is like constant action and super over the top and clever and you know yeah. showy. This movie's way less showy. Definitely. Um, also, I kind of don't like Bill. <laughs> he's not as interesting as the other characters. I don't get how sure. he has this much power over women. <laughs> I just don't, you get, don't get it. it. His sexual power. <laughs> like he has these like five assassins or whatever. <laughs> it's like yeah. for him. <laughs> I don't get it. And right. how is he like a millionaire? I don't know. <laughs> well, not you know, this movie's very not in the real world no. in any shape, sense or shape. He's like this weird cowboy bum yeah. <laughs> um yeah so i mean i i like this movie a lot but it is probably in the lower if you if you take kill Bill volume one into a separate movies volume two is definitely in the lower half yeah. for me um even though it's, it's got a lot of great parts i think i think like i think you mentioned this when we were leaving volume one and going to two that um i think they're they're not quite balanced as well as they should be. Like I get that the, that volume one is more samurai, volume two is more western. Yeah. But I wish that this stuff in two was spread out among one, so that some of the so that one doesn't get one gets like eighty percent of the great action sequences of the two movies. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know all the only real action sequence in two that we get is like a short fight with Pyme, a short fight with L. Like that's kind of it. Yeah, right? and then mostly just her training. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, and even that's not, I don't know if I'd even call that an action sequence, you know? Well, talking about sequences, mm -hmm. my favorite scene yeah. about is the graveyard scene yeah, burial thing where she's like punching through the I do love casket. that. It's the first, <laughs> I think to me, that's the first uh, hint that Tarantino could, could make a great horror movie. Definitely. It's like, it's a, it's like the greatest zombie movie, zombie scene that's not a zombie scene. Yeah. And she's digging up through the dirt. <laughs> yeah, that's your favorite scene? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Are you including the part with Pime? That's hat that she's flashing back to? Uh when she's like learning how to punch through it. Uh-huh. Uh sure. Why not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I hate his beard. Uh, I love Why does Pime. everyone have wispy like want, facial hair? I want Pime's beard and mustache so bad. I hope I get one when I'm an old man. I'm gonna work real hard on it. No. <laughs> um I put for my favorite scene the standoff between Elle and Beatrix kiddo um <laughs> when they're uh in the trailer particularly when they both have the swords finally yeah and they're playing again that awesome um uh Ennio morricone song uh it's like oh it's like a super cool yeah, yeah exactly uh it's super badass it's great um yeah. i think we should only be allowed to sing all yeah. the songs we reference. <laughs> uh and and, and they're, they keep just zooming in on their eyes and l is super evil and talking about how she killed Pyme because he snatched her eye out yeah a miserable poisoned his fish heads yeah. <laughs> uh yeah that i love that sequence because it, it just it, that to me that's the closest you get to the cool action stuff of the first movie yeah yeah. In this movie is that, that and it's right all there. it takes place it reminds me a lot of raising arizona mm. where um it's all in that trailer right. and it's so like tight and like they're trying to get their swords out and they can't because there's no room yeah they keep hitting the walls with nicholas the cage like scratches his <laughs> knuckles on the popcorn ceiling it is great yeah. <laughs> it reminded me a lot of that <laughs> yeah no that scene's great that's the, i think that's my favorite scene although there's a lot of bits in this that i yeah. really like i used to listen to that track on the soundtrack where he tells the story of pime all the times so i thought it was really cool <laughs> Uh, how about your favorite song? To mirror. <laughs> and then it's like. Yeah. I like yeah, all the really long Spanish songs. Yeah, when she's going to Esteban's, that is a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. <laughs>
I will, oh, yeah, I wanted to mention too. I hate to say this because I like Michael Parks, but that scene with Esteban is my least favorite scene in in yeah, the whole movie. I don't and like it. I think it's <laughs> I think it's one of the few completely unnecessary scenes in any of Tarantino's movies. I feel like she should have chopped his head off right after well, he told her where Bill was. <laughs> well, it's weird. It's a weird scene to me because like all of the other people she kills, she never has to ask where they are. She never yeah. has to try to find them. Yeah. And for some reason, it, he feels like it's necessary for her to have to go through that step of asking where bill is yeah and it kind of seems like bill isn't hiding <laughs> yeah totally he's, he's definitely he's not. there you're like just look him up in the phone book <laughs> right so it is it's weird and it's i don't know it's just unnecessary i don't get the and then yeah the it. whole vibe is just weird yeah yeah the, the prostitutes the, like, which are by the way real face. real yeah. mexican prostitutes mm. as extras which is strange <laughs> um yeah i don't get that scene i i, I think it could totally be cut and would not affect the movie yeah in it definitely feels out of place um that said yeah that song's great though. yeah to so be it. Real. <laughs> um my favorite song is that one that plays during that standoff it's called a silhouette of doom by ennio morricone <laughs> Um, and it's from the movie Navajo Joe, which I think there are a lot of references in Kill Bill 1 to Navajo Joe, like axe throwing stuff. Um, but yeah, that song, it's got that, starts with that piano. It's like dun, 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 dun. Yeah. I think it might also play in the opening of Kill Bill Volume 2 when she's like, uh, it's a long way to get this. Point, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, oh, one other really positive thing I'll say about Kill Bill 2, I, the closing credits are so great <laughs> it's got that great song by robert it's, Rodriguez's a long band. Credit, it's yeah. very it's I, it's got to be his longest credits ever because they do like the individual cast twice yeah and then they do like the actual credit of the cast it's they do the crazy. like yeah those like very classic Still hollywood scenes, version ones yeah. with the big names <laughs> and then they do that essentially again basically for both movies right? it is it is a credits for both movies yeah. show up in volume two like all the characters from both movies get does credited. the first movie have credits i'm sure it, i mean it has to there'd be no way he could get yeah. away with that but yeah this movie definitely credits both yeah because i guess tarantino he vehemently says that these are one movie yeah i disagree i think they're very different movies um but uh but yeah he initially wanted to make one four-hour movie but... which yeah I mean, I think he they're could. I think they're probably longer than that put together. All his other films seem that long now. <laughs> yeah, really, that's true. Most of his movies are pretty much three hours. So. Yeah, but yeah. So, so does that count in his quest for ten movies total, or is it separate? It, well, it really, I don't think he's really only going to make ten films because that'd be insane. Yeah, I really don't because he has like what one more left. Well, or he's already something. said he wants to make a Star Trek movie. I don't think that's real. Yeah, I mean, if you count these as separate, then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is tenth. But like, he also directed part of Four Rooms, and yeah. you know, he directed a scene in Sin City. So it's like, you know, what what counts? And what he probably maybe. didn't realize he was going to be able to make ten films because he didn't think he'd get so popular, and maybe he was probably like, ah, I gotta take it back. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that ends our volume one we've gone through the first five movies yep so and now we're gonna play a little game test our knowledge and what is that game called quentin says the best things <laughs> so stay tuned we'll be right back Oh, 
Harper. Are you ready to play? Quentin says the this thing. Put it like that. I sure am. Um, so I guess we need to lay down the ground rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, should we flip a coin or who goes first? Uh, <laughs> ladies first. You can go first. Okay. That's sexist, but whatever. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, so I guess for this, we will take turns reading movie quotes and the other person will guess one, whether or not it's from a Tarantino film and bonus point, if they can name the film it's from regardless if it is or isn't a Tarantino film. So So, you can get a maximum of two points per question. Or do we want to make it like a hundred points per question? (laughs) (laughs) Three cats. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, I guess. So I'm, I'm saying the quote first. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So Uh, give me one and I'll guess whether it's Tarantino. It's a Tarantino written piece of dialogue or not. I'll put as much oomph into it as I can. All right. If you, you, I, I'm, I'm going to read mine as deadpan as possible to not what? give it away. <laughs> I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> All right. You go for it. All right. So number one. Mm-hmm. I am the scales of justice, conductor of the choir of death. That is not from a Quentin Tarantino movie. <laughs> but I have no idea what movie it's from. <laughs> Correct. Check out the big brain on bread. It is not Quentin Tarantino. Um, it is from Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? From when? I think it's one of the random dudes on a car. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> a weird one. <laughs> That's a good line, though. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, so now for my first one, I'll give you I'll give you an easy one. All right, you ready? Mm-hmm. Now, if you ever want to eat a sauerkraut sandwich again, you got to show me on this here map where they are. You got to <laughs> tell me how many there are, and you got to tell me what kind of artillery they're carrying with them. That is Inglorious Bastards. So that is and correct yes, on both counts. Tarantino film. That is correct. <laughs> Check out the big brain on bread. All right, so I'm winning. Let's just shut this down now. All right. <laughs> All right, next question. Well, damn, if you ain't so sweet, you make sugar toast. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I got tongue-tied. No, All right. Well, damn, if you ain't so sweet, you make sugar taste just like salt. That is from a Tarantino movie. Correct. Check out the big brain on bread. Oh, man. I want to say it's Pulp Fiction, but I don't know. Okay. It's not. <laughs> Sorry. I shook my head. Okay. In disappointment. So what is it? Uh, hold on. Let me get. I'm, I, I, I've lost the point, but let me guess. Loser. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's from Death Proof. Real? Oh yeah. Okay. That I think it's the one there in the bar. That's Caressel right? says that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Duh. All right. So I'm winning. Yeah. Well, we're tied right now. Oh, we are. Yeah. But you've only gone once, so. Okay. All right. Um. All right. This is a. Let me see. Okay. Here. This is a long one. All right. And it's a conversation between two people, but the whole thing is funny. So you have to do two different voices. Ugh. All right. I'll I try. won't understand. All right. <laughs> Let me explain something to you. Momo is dead, which means that everything he had now belongs to Jimmy Cap, including you, which also means that when I speak, I speak for Jimmy. E.g., from now on, you start showing me the proper fucking respect. <laughs> E.G. means, for example, what I think you want to say is I.E. Bullshit. That's short for ergo. Ask your man. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, E.G. means for example. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm going to say it's not. 
That's correct. Check out the big brain on Brad. And I feel like it's a Scorsese film. No, it's a good guess, though. <laughs> but I have no idea. I thought this is the most Tarantino-ish <laughs> sounding quote on my whole list, and it is not Tarantino. <laughs> it is from Get Shorty. Oh, I've, I've only seen that like once. Yeah, me too. That's <laughs> so, a good one. yeah. I could see that. I really thought it was Scorsese. Well, now you are winning. It's three to two. Three to two. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's see. Do you have any idea how crazy you are? You mean the nature of this conversation? I mean the nature of you. Oh, that's definitely Tarantino. Is it? Yeah, isn't it? Is it? Well, I'm going to say yes. Am I wrong? You're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, but do you have a, any guess? No, I don't. I know that line for sure. Yeah. It's two people. So person one. I have no Do idea. you have any idea how crazy you are? Person two. You mean the nature of this conversation? Yeah, I heard you, but <laughs> I, mean I don't, I don't know who it's from. <laughs> uh, it's from No Country for Old Men. Uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. You're killing me. Oh, mine are way killing too easy. Smalls. All right, here's one for you. Where's the commode in this dungeon? I gotta take a squirt. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say yes, Tarantino. That's correct. Check out the big brain on Brad. And Pulp Fiction. That is incorrect. Uh, I thought yeah. it was the the gimp. The gimp, the gimp doesn't <laughs> No, talk. the scene with the, the dungeon, gimp. No, it's yeah. not an actual dungeon. It's from Reservoir Dogs. Mr. Pink says. Oh, it. we just watched that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. You're still in the lead. Four to two. How many do we have left? Uh, I don't know. I've done three. How many have I done? One. I have. I wrote down a bunch of them, so I don't really have like a number. Well, I'll do all six of mine. So okay. So when I sure. run out, we're done. Um. Okay. Next question or quote. Mm -hmm. I mean. But I'm going to ask you questions, and every time you don't give me answers, I'm going to cut something off, and I promise you they will be things you will miss. Kill Bill. Yes. Check out the big brain on Brad. So, yes. Yes. Yeah. You finally got both. <laughs> it's, and it's... Uh, no, which of all you? No, no I, knew, I think it's volume one, right? Yeah, it is. Okay. okay. So, let's see. Let me give you one. What have I got? Now that there is the Tech 9, a crappy spray gun from South Miami. This gun is advertised as the most popular gun in American crime. Do you believe that? S-H-I-T. It actually says that in the little book that comes with it. The most popular gun in American crime. Like they're actually proud of that. S-H-I-T. Man, I want to say it's not. Aww. So if it is, then Jackie Brown... Yeah, it was Jack. So, do you get a point for Jackie yeah. Brown? All right, fair enough. Like, well, I but, forgot it takes place in like. Well, how do you say it's not? But then you said I shouldn't have told oh, you. Oh, but it's Jackie Brown. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah sorry, I get half a point. <laughs> All right, next question. Now your your lead is narrowing. It's only four to five now. I feel like grabbing you by your ears right now and screaming, I'm not being interested. Instead, I'm going to drive home and do some accounting. Oh, man. You pick really good <laughs> ones because I know all these quotes. This sounds super familiar. I'm going to say it's not from a Tarantino movie. Correct. Check out the big brain on Brad. But I do not know what it's from. Do you want a hint? Or is that cheating? I mean, Just you get, guess randomly. <laughs> of, of all the movies I've yeah, ever of seen? all the movies. No all right. It's one of your favorite movies. <laughs> 
I have no idea. All right. It's Nightcrawler. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. It's huh. when I'm pretty sure it's when Bill Paxton's propositioning propositioning him for the job, and he's uh, like, yeah. "No, I'm not interested." I must, oh yeah, and then he's like, "You twerp." Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> like the last, oh, last time I've heard anyone leaks, bro, got somebody a twerp. <laughs> All right. Okay, let's see. Let me find one. What have I got here? Okay. I'm going to go have a smoke right now. You want to smoke? You don't smoke, do you, right? What are you, one of those fitness freaks, huh? Go f*** yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not Tarantino? That's correct. Check out the big brain on Brad. I want to say Robert De Niro says it. <laughs> no. Um. Okay, I have no idea. It is from The Departed. Ah, so Scorsese. Yeah, I'm fairly sure it's um, Alec Baldwin's character. Yeah, Scorsese likes to say, go F-U-C-K yourself a lot. It shows up a lot. So that's what I'm like, The Departed, I I had a hard time picking just one from The Departed. There were a lot of good lines from that one. That's a good one to pick from. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so this is my last one for you. And then I think you'll have one more. (laughs) Yeah, okay, fair enough. What's the score? Uh, Six to five, you're still winning. Okay. Last question. Mm Mm-hmm. What can you expect when you're on top? You know, it's like Napoleon. When he was the king, you know, people were just constantly trying to conquer him, you know, in the Roman mm. Empire. So it's history repeating itself all over again. Oh, man. I feel like this is something we just watched. I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to say Django Unchained. Nope. <laughs> Oh, neither is right. Oh, man, I'm terrible at this game. <laughs> well, if you knew it wasn't a Tarantino film, no, any I, guesses? I have no clue if it's on, on, on any the of these. The clue is that everything he says is wrong. <laughs> he said Napoleon was a king yeah. and in the Roman Empire, which he wasn't. So it's like a doofus type of person saying yeah. it. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. It is Marky Mark Boogie Nights. Oh, I would never <laughs> guess that in a million years. You're good at this game. How can you be good at it? <laughs> well, because you're winning, obviously. Because uh, mine I picked way easier ones. All right. Um, last, last question? Yeah. All right. Let me pick one. Let's see. All right. Never did like that son of a... B-I-T-C-H. About as useless as a pecker on a pope. <laughs> um... I'm going to say not. That's correct. Check out the big brain on Brad. Can you repeat it? I want to make sure I win. <laughs> Never did like that, son of a... B-I-T-C-H. <laughs> about as useless as a pecker on a pope. Man, it sounds familiar. Have we watched it recently? Mm, it's been a while. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> it is from Planet Terror. Oh, I would never would have guessed that. <laughs> Well, that was fun. Yeah, it was Who a blast. won? Me? Yes, seven to five. You win. <laughs> that wasn't that like far apart. You did well too. <laughs> All right. So I am the winner. I get to wear the crown this week around the house. Um, and that's it for this episode. But don't forget you can always see a list of the movies we talked about on our letterbox. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Spliced Podcast or on Facebook at Spliced Together. Uh, let us know what you think about Quentin Tarantino and all his films and where you would rank it. And we'll see you soon on another episode of Splice Together. Together.